Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hello, this is Zack Sabre Jr., New Japan Cup winner 2018. And you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style with my mates. Enjoy. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll be discussing the finals of the New Japan Cup USA, wrestling Satsuma Nukuni, wrestling Dantaku, answering your questions, and covering all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts and columns at over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Wrestling Tees store, WrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. With features like dark mode, improved translation to layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? I'm all right, man. Uh, Doing better than I was last week. I uh, got the gimmick in my arm. Second dose today. Got that, got that 5G running through your veins. <laughs> there's uh there's this ultimate warrior promo where he's like he's like all the blood of the warriors floating through the veins. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel like yeah, I got the blood of Fauci and and all the warriors floating through <laughs> the veins. Uh. Nah, uh my arm's kinda sore. Uh 
they put us in this observation room and like this like crazy observer dude who, who like gave us a spiel. He's like, he's like, you gotta drink water tonight. Okay. Now I'm not talking about one or two bottles. I'm talking eight, nine, 10 bottles of water. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> he's like, bro, he's cutting a full promo in the middle of the observation room. He's like, some of you are looking at me with the crazy eyes. Saying, oh, I'm going to have to get up and pee a bunch. Well, that's what your body's supposed to do. That's a good thing. <laughs> Oh, so I got this jug of water here because uh, that guy was really intense and he seems like someone I might need to listen to. I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I get uh, I think next Friday. I think I'm going to get uh, number two for me. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. My birthday's coming up. We going out. Going to celebrate. Yeah. Another so, year of the young boy. Wait, if you have a second dose Friday. Oh shit. Let me see. So the 7th? Yeah. I don't know, man. You it's supposed to be 2 weeks before it's full efficacy and 15th is my birthday. I don't know, man. I don't know what you're going to do. Uh, I'll, I'll mask we'll I'll mask up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, man. I'm, I'm doing all right. I mean, I'm doing good. I mean, New Japan's, like, in the toilet, but I'm doing good. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, uh, we're in another state of emergency. What the fuck is going on? Yeah, we'll talk about that uh, in the news, kind of what's going on in Japan with COVID and the future of some of the shows coming up here. Man, yeah, this is crazy. So, what do you want to talk about this week? Like, this is this is, like, one of the, like... This week's kind of crazy. Like it, it, some stuff happened, but it doesn't feel like a lot happened, really. Yeah. So let, let's start with the uh, New Japan Cup USA. We had the finals this past Friday on NJPW World. Uh, so the show opened up. We had Team Filthy, Chris Dickinson, and J.R. Kratos defeating the team of Clark Connors and TJP. Uh, very interesting story in this matchup here. Obviously, you have uh, Team Filthy. There's been some dissension in the ranks there with uh, Chris Dickinson and where his alliances truly lie. And we saw some miscommunications in that match with him and Jared Kratos. But there's also some miscommunication between Clark Connors and TJP, a uh, team that teamed up in the, the Super Junior Tag League a couple years ago. So that they're used to teaming together, but they've had some miscommunication, which actually cost them uh, the win here. And uh, Team Filthy gets the win. Yeah, when the match uh, started and um, Clark Connors and TJP were making their way out, uh, TJP, like, stopped in the entranceway and, like, put his fist out like he was going to get, like, a fist bump from his partner. And then Clark Connors just ran past him, uh, you know, as he's prone to do. And TJP just, like, kind of looked in the camera like, oh, well, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't think that was a story. I thought that was a shoot. I was just like, no one likes TJP. <laughs> it makes total sense that this dude would run off on him. Like, I do the same shit. Like, uh, fuck. He's probably pissed he has to work with this guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, who knows? Maybe, yeah, this just turned into a shoot, and, and there was real uh, some real miscommunication between these two here. Nah, I think it's the story. Once, once the match started laying out, I was like, oh, okay, okay, so this is all... This shit's all intentional, but at fir- they got me at first because it made all the sense in the world to me. Like, uh, I don't, I don't like, 
I don't like TJP like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, interesting match. I mean, you know, two teams, both both teams having miscommunication. You know, Dickinson and Kratos, uh, you know, end up being victorious, and uh, you know, a little tease of things to come with both groups. I mean, uh, the, the match was fine, 11 minutes. I don't have much more really to break down there, except for just uh, you know, uh, good good opening tag match. Yeah, so then uh, middle of the card, we have our good friend Rocky Romero defeating the debuting Wheeler Utah. It's a really good uh, technical matchup here. Yeah, it was good to see Wheeler Utah kind of introduced to the New Japan audience. Uh, You know, he's kind of made some headway in MLW, Ring of Honor, the independents, you know, the past couple of years. So uh, very interesting to kind of see him here. And yeah, uh, his reputation kind of preceded him as far as Matt skills go. Rocky Romero can hang on the mat with pretty much anybody. And so uh, these guys went out there, had a, a really good, compelling mat based match. And they even discussed on the, on the program, you know, how Rocky has uh, intentions to get back in contention for the junior title. And so even though this is more of an open weight show in general, the fact that both these guys fall under the junior weight limit is de facto junior match. And him picking up a win over a strong, uh, you know, contender like Wheeler Utah kind of speaks well for Rocky. So uh, I thought it was a good showcase debut for Wheeler Utah, and um, you know, look forward to seeing if they keep using him going forward. But I think they should. Yeah, I agree. I would love to see more of Wheeler Utah. I think he's improved a lot over the last couple of years. Again, you mentioned great, you know, Matt wrestling here between him and Rocky Romero. Rocky is showing why he's so good and he can still go and. It'll be interesting to see if, if Rocky ever does get over back to Japan and gets a, uh, another title shot. Interesting thing, too, is how versatile both of these guys are. So, I mean, um, you know, Wheeler Utah has in, in the past, but just very recently, become more uh, well-known for his mat skills. But, I mean, you'd mentioned in the past how prior to that he was sort of your prototypical high flyer. And he kind of showcased a little bit of that here in that he can do a little bit of everything. Um and do it in in a in a way to where he seems pretty competent in in all areas, which that's kind of Rocky's wheelhouse too. So yeah, you know, kind kind of interesting in that sense too. Yeah, I wonder if the in a way like a a protege storyline can come out here since you know Rocky's lost Danny Limelight as a protege. Uh, <laughs> since Rocky's a dad, <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> could take a young Wheeler Utah under his wing here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. So you know, we'll see where that goes from here. Um, the the main event, though, the match everybody came for, uh, the New Japan Strong Openweight Title uh, match, the New Japan Cup USA 2021 Finals match. Um, we saw Tom Waller defeating Brody King by referee's decision, 20 minutes five seconds. We have a new champion. Yeah, this was a really really good main event here. Uh, I thought both of these guys worked really well together. Obviously, Filthy Tom, a lot of his game plan was working over the legs uh, of Brody King. He even tried to pull out, you know, the Bret Hart figure four on the on the ring post at one point. Um, and then Brody was just trying to overpower Lawler. Big lariats, big suplexes. Um, yes, a great, great, great matchup here. Great main event here. And uh, like you mentioned, Filthy Tom towards the end of the matchup, you know, a little bit of disrespect for the uh, towards the LA Dojo and Shibata. He puts uh, Brody in the sleeper, sits him down, hits a PK, gets him back in the sleeper. 
Brody fails to respond. He goes out, and the ref has no choice but to stop the match and award uh, Filthy Tom Lawler the win. Yeah, uh, this match was interesting. Um, very, very stiff, hard-hitting affair like you you kind of um, laid out there, and it sort of had that professional fight feel to it, you know, uh, yeah. just the presentation of it all. Uh, it even kind of reminded me of, like, how they've presented some of the t- the bigger title matches in, like, say, MLW, for instance. Yeah. Uh, kind of had that, that feel to it. But um, even though the match was good, I was – I don't know. I, I felt like I was a little underwhelmed. Like when it was all over, I, I, I definitely remember feeling like, yeah, that was, that was good. But aside from the finish, there's not a lot that I really remember. I, I do remember that there was like a gonzo bomb. Um, but there wasn't too much that like really stood out to me. The, the main thing though, is just the tension all throughout the match and realizing that, either one of these guys could win at any given moment and it would have been plausible with the way that, you know, they've kind of positioned both them in the company. Um, but yeah, once Tom got the, uh, the rear naked choke locked in, I kind of expected, uh, Brody King to get out of it. And I know that his, he he did Hulk up at at first. He was like, he fired up and then went back out. Yeah. And he went out, which like, um, I I've seen that finish a few times and it's, good i guess because it's got a sense of realism to it but um i was just a little surprised i know that tom was working brody's legs and took his base out from him so it makes a lot of logical sense Mm -hmm. but i felt like the match would have got to to another level had brody kind of powered out of that and like you know they'd kind of gone to a different finish but you know once he went once he went limp i was like oh shit like he's out out like they're gonna stop this thing (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, which which is interesting. And I mean, I guess it kind of depends. Like, you know, you'd think with uh, my interest in, you know, shoot fighting and MMA, I'd kind of really dig this finish. And in a sense, I did. But in another sense, I don't know that I felt like the finish was about to happen until it finally did. I, I still had that pro wrestling kind of vision where I was like, I, I think he's about to power out of this. You know, this is a really good near fall. Is yeah. what I thought was happening. I didn't realize that that was going to be it. Yeah, I was like, oh, he's firing up. Yeah, I thought he was going to get up, but then he he just went out. But I, I like the finish. I like this match a lot. I really like Tom's work in here. He did a lot of great um, like transitions into whole submission. There's one point he busted out the old uh, Brian Danielson cat mutilation and turned. Oh it into, yeah, he did. That's right. Yeah, turned it into a cross face and then transitioned that into a rare naked. So it was a lot of great uh, slick transitions that uh, Filthy Tom was doing here. Yeah, I mean, he came in with a targeted game plan, and he really wanted to keep it mat-based and, and submission-based. And on the flip side, you had Brody King working power moves and, you know, power strikes. And so, you know, it was kind of a style differenti- you know, difference uh, between the two of them. I did sort of expect them to come out with their different groups. Yeah. Um, or, you know, not that I was advocating for it, but I was almost kind of in the back of my mind expecting maybe some sort of, uh, I don't want to say interference, but involvement from outside parties. And we never got that, which I guess is good. You know, uh, we got a clean straight, you know, match, but, uh, yeah. Uh, Tom Lawler, the first ever new Japan, um, strong open weight champion. 
yeah, so post-match, we have uh, Team Filthy coming out, Chris Dickinson, J.R. Kratos, because uh, Dane Limelight's too busy in Jacksonville right now. Uh, but they come out and celebrate with Filthy Tom. He gets awarded with the uh, New Japan Cup USA Trophy. Then he is handed the Strong Openweight uh, Championship, and he, he cuts a promo, and he says, he, he says I know what this, what's about to happen. This is a part of the show where somebody, you know, walks out and challenges me. Um, and so, you know, he's, he's waiting for anybody to answer the call. Nobody came out. His music plays, but then Dickinson grabs the mic and says, you know, you're looking for somebody to challenge you. Your next challenge is right here in front of you. And Dickinson challenges Filthy Tom for the title, and Jared Cradles looks on puzzled, and it looks like we have our, you know, our first title program here, Filthy Tom Lawler against Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson. I had a, uh, a couple criticisms here. Uh, the first thing, I thought it was interesting when, Tom Waller kind of, you know, kind of got insidery and referenced the uh, the formula of how people come out and place challenges, and that 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 was fine. And then they kind of focused, you know, heavily on the uh, the backstage and everything like that. And so I was like, okay, you know, is someone going to come out? Is it going to be a uh, team filthy member? Blah blah blah. You know, so there there was some tension there. But then once they uh cut back to the ring and they went to Chris. I felt like it, it was just sort of weird pacing and timing yeah. with the whole thing. And it felt sort of, uh, kind of anticlimactic. It was kind of awkward, uh, the way he placed the challenge and, and everything. I was still excited for it. There was a part of me that sort of thought that it wouldn't be Dickinson though, that that was like too on the nose. And I kind of thought it might be Jared Kratos. That would have been an interesting but- twist. Especially since the camera was focused on the two of them and you're waiting and waiting and he's not challenging and you're waiting and Kratos is out of the camera. Like my mind was thinking like he blasts him. You know what I mean? Like right. fucking just like lays <laughs> him out and, and he's like uh, the challenger is mean. So I thought that was like going to be the twist. I was like waiting for it. But no, Dickinson, you know, lays out the challenge, says, you know, you don't have to wait. It's going to be me. And. You know, Filthy's like, you know, you want to do this right now? Like, now? You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and like, the, so, you know, Team Filthy seems to be in disarray at this point. I mean, you got, you know, your number two guy challenging publicly in front of everybody. And, you know, Kratos just seems beside himself by this, uh, you know, um, seeming betrayal. And n- nobody knows where the fuck, you know... <laughs> Danny Limelight is like I don't know this it's wrestling, this group's, it's wrestling Kenny Omega on Elevation. I kind of like the Team Filthy uh, T-shirts, but like I don't even know if I can invest and buy one of those. Like the the whole lineups can be different, you know, four weeks from now. So right, <laughs> Filthy Tom, I have to bring in some of the his uh, MLW uh, Filthy Tom, uh, Dom Garini, and uh, Kevin Koo. Yeah, uh, what's their tag team? Violence Forever. Yeah, yeah. I, I like those guys. Um, the other thing, too, is um, I, I, I'm not sure that Chris Dickinson should be challenging for the title. It's like, I guess it's fine, but, like, if you kind of think about it, like, he just lost to Ren Narita, and then he just lost to Brody King, and he hasn't really had a comeback singles win since then, you know? Right. So I'm kind of thinking, like, from a sports-based, you know, mindset, like, where, where's his, like, uh, turnaround victory? You know, that never really happened. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess it's fine. It makes sense. But, like, 
it's not like he I mean, he's definitely one of the the uh, stars of the program, and you know we're big fans. But from a storyline standpoint, I think it's kind of weird that they're just granting him the title challenge because he placed the challenge. You know, he he just lost in the tournament. Well, that, that's how it works, man. You 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 call it you call champ out. You get a title match. <laughs> not not always. Though. I mean, yeah, I guess. Like I don't know. It's kind of fucking weird. Yeah, I but I do understand the point you're making. I do think it would have been good to maybe have him. Get a big win back, maybe beat Narita in a rematch, or you know, get some, get a little bit momentum. Have Filthy Tom challenge, you know, face somebody else at first, and then uh, I would have him fuck somebody up. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, so that, but yeah, would, I mean, that's that's a match that I'm very much looking forward to. I mean, uh, I would probably say those are two of my favorite guys on the show, and I think most, you know, uh, regular viewers probably feel the same way. So, uh, pretty awesome, and that's a got to be one of the biggest wins of Tom Lawler's career. I mean, great match, Brody King inaugural champion. That's probably like the second major singles title he's held in his career so far. Yeah. Where were you uh snowflakes on this, on this main event here? Uh, I don't know, like three and three quarters. Yeah. Maybe, that, maybe three and a half. I don't know. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was 3.75 on this one. So yeah, really good, strong main event here. And, that's going to lead up into next week's show. We're going to have the L.A. Dojo Showcase. Shibata wants to show off what the L.A. Dojo guys have been doing and what they've been learning. So we have a show here full of the L.A. Dojo guys here. Uh show will open up with uh, TJP taking on the DKC. Then in the second matchup, we'll have Fred Rosser teaming up with Fred Narita to take on Alex Coughlin and Kevin Knight. And then the main event will be... Carl Fredericks against Clark Connors. So we had a question here from Muzza. He says he's low-key excited for the LA Dojo Showcase show on Strong, but he, I have a minor irk that Carl Fredericks could perhaps turn heel. Is it just me, or is it a possibility? And if so, which stable would he join? Well, uh, I mean, I don't know. Would it bother you if Carl Fredericks turned heel? Because I don't feel like it would bother me one way or the other. Uh, it wouldn't bother me. I mean, I don't see that him going to Japan anytime soon. So it'd be just another right. kind of character development for him here on Strong. And you know, he already has the whole Alpha Wolf uh, persona and personality and gimmick, and he thinks he's a top dog from the LA Dojo. And now you have all these other LA Dojo guys coming, you know, trying to get his spot. So I think it would make it could make a lot of sense for him to turn heel here. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't really. Uh... You know, paying attention to see if they were teasing uh, that there would be like a, a character switch like that or a turn. But I mean, it, he already kind of has some arrogant leaning tendencies right now as it is. So I wouldn't be surprised if if that was the case. I also wouldn't be surprised if there was no turn and, you know, uh, there, there might just be like some slow character progression that kind of takes place as time goes on with these guys. Cause like you mentioned, like we don't have a destination for them in Japan anytime in the, you know, near future, unless, unless something's changed that we don't know about, you know? Right. So we'll, we'll, we'll kind of have to wait and see with that. But, uh, I'm excited for this showcase. I mean, I wish TJP wasn't on it, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what they should have done? They, sh- they should have done uh, TJP versus Rocky. Have like old school LA Dojo guys on there, you know. But then, what about DKC? Then you could have DKC team with Fred Narita instead of Fred Rosser. 
Oh, you know what? He like totally slipped through my. I literally thought everybody on this was LA Dojo. I I, for, I did not realize Fred Rosser was on here at all. <laughs> they need they need to put Joe on here is what they need to do. <laughs> stop stop playing. That would be dope. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, card looks good. Um, once you mentioned Fred Rosser is on here, I got a little less excited, but, uh, <laughs> man, no, no, no respect for Mr. No days off. I mean, he's good, but like, it's not, a, it's not really about that. I just, uh, I wanted to be all, I want to be a gimmick show, you know, all LA dojo. You know right. what I'm saying? Like a, like a, uh, Lionsgate project. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I guess like Fred Rosser kind of like fills the void of like those dudes from like <laughs> tradition or whatever yeah. the fuck that was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All those weird random dudes that would show up on there. <laughs> it makes sense too, because Fred Rosser's never showing up on like New Japan proper. So <laughs> you think, Fred, bro, you think Fred Rosser is going to make it in New Japan? Like, you know, that'd be Mikey Nichols 2.0. Like. Yeah, there can only be one. Speaking of Mikey Nichols, wasn't there like a big title match in like EWP with him and Robbie Eagles? I wonder if that happened yet. I think so. I remember him posting about it, but yeah, I never saw what came out I, of that. I heard, I heard Mikey Nichols is doing good work in, in Australia, so. Mm. Well, if he yeah. ever comes back, hopefully he'll you know show, show some of that good work. Yeah, uh, but that's pretty much going to do it for New Japan Strong, unless you've got anything else. Nope, we can transition over to uh, New Japan in Japan, what's going on over there. So we had a Road to Wrestling Dontaku show yesterday, April 26th. Going to just kind of breeze through the results here of the undercard, because I feel like it's a, a lot of the same talking points that we've had for the last two weeks now. Um, there, There's a couple things I want to touch on, but not much. All right. So, uh, opening matchup, we had Desperado, Suzuki, and Kanemaru defeating Rapungi 3K and Tiger Mask. Uh, the, the only main thing with that is they, they're kind of um, telling a little bit of a story that, like, Sho is not communicating well with his teammates, which uh, led to the, the loss here, caused Tiger Mask to get pinned. So, you know, kind of, like, teasing the idea, like, will Sho and Yo be, you know, on the same page when they, you know, defend their junior titles on, on the next upcoming, what are these shows called? Uh, Satsuma no Kuni. Yeah. So. Yeah. And also, you know, we, we talked about too, you know, there's been a lot of focus on yo on these matches and Yo's kind of been, you know, the, the star and shining. And we've, we've seen comments from show kind of questioning why he was getting a title shot. And so I feel a show is trying to get some shine back on himself by not listening to Tiger Mask and yo and, um, you know, not cooperating. So that that's definitely going to be an element that's going to play out in that title match. Are you saying he refused to follow the script? <laughs> yeah. Is that what you're alleging? He, it wasn't working for him, brother. Yeah. Observe this, brother. <laughs> uh, we call this a rag sheet, dude. <laughs> uh, so the next matchup, we had Doki, Taichi, and Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Jado, Tama, Tonga, and Tangaloa by disqualification. Is it fucked up if I tell you that I really enjoyed this match? Uh, I mean, that's on you. There's, there's some crazy shit here, bro. Uh, <laughs> bro, Doki, di- Doki did this dive to the outside, and 
Tama threw up a ladder to like, you know, hit him in the head. But like normally when you do that spot and the guy's doing doing the dive, you throw up the ladder, it hits the guy in the head and cuts him off and he like drapes over the ropes and like falls onto the apron. Yeah. This crazy motherfucker Doki <laughs> did the tope suicida into the ladder and then literally like came head first down to the uh to, to the cement like bro it was like on the same level as like Undertaker at WrestleMania 25 like it was scary as fuck yeah that that was a pretty crazy spot yeah Doki's all you know like we said Doki's not going back and this man's wilding out um but also yeah, the the ladder involvement eventually led to a DQ where uh, Tangaloa starts laying people out with the ladders uh, ref calls for the DQ and they cut a now, promo. Now, th- the other thing I want to talk about is why the fuck do they have such small ladders? Like, yeah. is that the ladder that they're going to be using in this ladder? Bro, if they are using thug ladders, <laughs> at, <laughs> they're using the WLC ladder. Right, I'll say that. Yeah, the uh, Torito and uh, Hornswoggle ladders. Bro, I'm, like, we're going to have to talk to somebody because the, that ladder was smaller than the, the ladder from WrestleMania 10. Like, that's a step ladder, you know? So, yeah. That's something you use in your apartment, literally. Right, yeah. Those ladders were super small. So maybe like, that what the fuck? Hopefully that was just for for that show and, and that promo, but yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Like, this company's, like, in New Japan proper, they've only had one other ladder match. And I, if I recall correctly, I feel like the ladder that Elgin and Kenny used was, uh, like, pretty, pretty large. Yeah, well, so I think, like I kind of yeah, like, I think they had several ladders in that match, and there, I think there was one that was like really tall, like kind of like in WWE where you have the, the kind of the normal size and one that's like really tall. It's been so long since I watched that match, so I don't quite remember, but I I have a feeling that that like here's what happened: like they came to Kenny and they were like, "Here's your ladder," and they brought him that pimp ladder that we just saw, like the thug ladder, and like he was like, "What the fuck is that?" He's like, "You can't <laughs> use that." And they were like. Strong style ladder. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, he had to, like, explain to them, like, nah, bro, like, you know, it's 2019, 2018, whatever the year that was. Like, you know, we got to have multiple ladders out here with various sizes and shapes. Like, we can't discriminate, you know? Yeah. But now that Kenny's not there to, like, talk reason, like, who knows? Like, you know, they might just be using this small ass ladder. I surely hope not, but I guess we'll see coming up soon here. But yeah, G.O.D. Uh, leaves Tekkers laying, cut a post-match promo. And what's the deal? So um, basically it sounds like, from what I understand, Zack Sabre is fighting um, Tangelo in the singles match, and it's a right-to-challenge match. So Yeah, so if Sabre beats Tangaloa... Techers will get a title shot, but if Saber loses, the Techers are not allowed to challenge for titles ever again. Right, and that's what I was confused about. Is it that they can't challenge uh, God, or they're not allowed to challenge ever, no matter who it is? I'm not sure. They weren't quite clear. How I saw stuff I've seen posted is that they're not allowed to challenge again. But I, don't, I mean, I don't know if that's been clarified or not, though, by New Japan. See, and, and it's hard for me to, like, believe them, even if that were – now, we know that's not going to happen. But even if it were to happen, it's like, yo, we're about to talk about it. But, like, this motherfucker Tenzon's still doing Mongolian chops. Like, 
you know, so how much am I supposed to believe that Danger Techers are never going to, uh, you know, challenge for the titles again if they lose? Like, fuck. Right, and that, and that was a stipulation that was put on by Tangaloa, uh, that I guess the, the IWGP just agreed with, just like with the Mongolian chop. So maybe, you know, Tenzon made an appeal because, you know, hey, this wasn't, you, know, you guys didn't come with a stip like we did, so. Bro, stop trying to make excuses for <laughs> for their for their terrible you know mistakes, uh, but yeah. Uh, so that was interesting. Uh, we move on. Bull Club team: Dick Togo, Evil Ghetto, Taiji Ishimori, and Yujiro Takahashi. They defeated the Hantai team of Hiroshi Tanahashi, Hiroshi Tenzan, Master Wato, Ryazuki Taguchi, and Toru Yano. And as I was watching this match, I thought to myself, like. We've been we gotten some questions the past few weeks like what's like the one faction that should break up. I'm at the point where I'm like, man, Bullet Club should probably break up. And you know what? Hauntai could break up too. Like <laughs> <laughs> let those motherfuckers find like a cause and join up like you know, with a faction or something. Yeah, I mean Bullet Club's definitely kinda of long in the tooth and I don't know, just like keeps keep adding more people, and it, it's kind of lost its its whole purpose of what the group was actually supposed to be at this point. Bro, this match, the last, like, two to three minutes from the time that, like, Yano... So, obviously, we're building up to the... I don't even know the name the, of the, the match. The Creation but, of Darkness match. Oh, God, the Creation of Darkness match with, with the... Uh, the blindfolds from, you know, Martel versus Jake Roberts from WrestleMania 7 or whenever that was. Um, and from the moment that Yano gets in the ring, like, at the tail end of this match, it's just bullshit, like, shenanigans fuckery. It's just, you know, um, people getting hit with fucking turnbuckles. Like, that even hurts. And people getting low blowed and people getting the the uh executioner style like fucking things put up the gimmicks put over their head and like the referees just like so stupid not seeing <laughs> all this stuff like it it's so outrageous and then at the very very end of it when dick togo's lay like got a hood on his head and he's you know laying on yano's prone body who also has a a, a hood on his head at what point does the referee not just be like all right some shit went down I'm throwing this shit out. You know what I'm right, saying? Yeah, like, no, I would not count no that contest. fall. Like, there's yeah. no way I'd count the fall if two people got hoods on. Like, clearly something's amiss. Something went awry, you know? Right. But, yeah, I mean. This is everything wrong with New Japan right now. Yeah. And it and it all started a year ago with Evil, bro. And I told people, I told the two things I, I ranted about the most last year out of everything was Evil getting a main event push and then putting the double tiles on him and this fucking KOPW stipulation. And now they've amalgamated those two things <laughs> and combined them. I, I loathe this. I hate it more than anything else in wrestling right now. Yeah, this is definitely the one match on the cards that I just like I just check out now. Like the last, you know, five or six row two that's been to some kind of 10 man tag like this. With pretty much the exact same kind of finish or shenanigans. I'm just kind of over it. Yeah, bad. But uh, then from that match, we move on to the United Empire of Jeff Cobb and Will Ospreay defeating the LIJ team of Bushi and Shingo Takagi. Very, very good. Uh, You know, the main thing, and we've been saying this all along, love them or hate them, the United Empire is like 
the best thing going Dude, in this company right now. They have New Japan on their backs right now. Yeah, yeah, like they're carrying the company, and you know, um, it, it's been a long time since we've talked about a, a group like that in the company that wasn't named Lij, but like clearly. United Empire is like the premier group in this company. And this match was very good. The stuff with everybody played their role really well. The stuff with Shingo and Will, obviously we're, we're building to the uh, world title match between them. And that stuff was outstanding. This didn't overstay. It's welcome. 13 minutes, 23 seconds. Uh, it's very interesting. We saw Jeff Cobb give Shingo Takagi a tour of the islands. And then Will Ospreay beat Bushi with a uh, Stormbreaker. Yeah, like I mentioned too last week, we were seeing a such great chemistry with all the United Empire guys, no matter which you know set of guys you have you have paired up. And there's some great combos here of Osprey and uh, Cobb, where Cobb catches Osprey and then propels him into the Oz Cutter onto Shingo. Thought that was, was a great spot. But yeah, good matchup yeah. here. And that's the thing uh, we've mentioned it many times is like just how creative they are, like. They're not going out there night after night and having the same match, which is, you know, on these tours, that's kind of what's expected of you. And that's what we, we, we become accustomed to. And they're, they're kind of bucking that trend and going out there and having, you know, unique matches night in, night out, you know, even when it's a tag, you know. Right. So, yeah, good match here. Like you mentioned, Osprey gets the, the win over Bushi with the Chelsea Grin and Stormbreaker and uh, the world champ. Is uh, standing here. So then we move on to the semi-main event of the evening with more LIJ versus United Empire action. We had Cole Skull Sonata defeating the ultimate weapon, Aaron Hanare. Yeah. Um, so the, the this match was interesting. Um, you know, we talked about it prior that this is a big test for Aaron Hanare. Uh, not in the sense that, like, you know, it's not a test of whether he can go or not. We know we anyone who's been watching the the uh, product for a while knows that Aaron Hanare is a great wrestler and really has you know the chops to back it up. And you could say the same thing about Sonata, but really the test was kind of seeing where they're placing him in terms of his rank within this group, in terms of his push within the company, and his status. And Sonata is a great test in that sense. But, you know, one thing I hadn't considered that sort of played out in this match was seeing Sonata get tested in a sense where he kind of played the um, the veteran role, you know, the guy right. with more experience. And not to say we've never seen him do that, but very often we've seen him against, uh, you know, different opponents like a show or Nagata. And he just kind of seemed like last year he seemed sort of indifferent in some of those matches. But here he seemed to really step up his game, which is kind of unique because we've always talked about how Sonata usually only rises to the level of his competition. And very rarely does he work at a higher level and pull guys up. I mean, I can't think of too many times in the past few years I've ever seen him do that uh, in a singles match. And that's sort of what he was attempting to do here. So, I mean, it was sort of a test for both of these guys. Yeah, and I thought this was a, a pretty good match here. Uh, one thing I didn't like, there was a, initially some leg work at the beginning of the match where yes. Hanare does the um, you know the leg the leg breaker onto the the table on, onto Sonata's knee, so he had an image uh, damaged leg there. And Hanare was working that over towards the beginning of the match, and then 
it seemed like all that just got totally abandoned and Sonata's, you know, doing all his leaps and planchas and drop kicks and moonsaults and all this stuff about really selling the leg. Um, yeah, and and that's one of those things where it's like you don't have to uh you know, I mean, I don't know. I'm not like always a stickler for that stuff like some people are. I don't I don't ask that the person hobble around on the leg the whole match like they're Randy Savage. But if you're going to like focus on it so heavily in that sequence early on, you want it to kind of play out in some way and tell part of the story in a greater way or at least have some acknowledgement, but like it was kind of frivolous. Like, and the fact that they focused on it so heavily for the first part of the match was a little bit bewildering because it never led to anything. Right. Exactly. Like you would think at some, at some point, like like you mentioned, even if he's not like hobbling at some point, it would have came back in the end, like kind of bite him or, you know, maybe he couldn't do the moonsault or something like that to slow him down. But yeah, it's totally kind of abandoned it. Something else that um, I did not like about this match was when Hanare had Sonata in that submission, that uh, that stretch submission towards the end of the match, and freaking Sonata, the twister. yeah, Sonata was tapping. I never noticed. I don't know what you're talking about, bro. He clearly that, to me those were taps. He was. Clearly, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about, dude. Hanare had him in the twister, and Sonata was like, he starts smacking the mat. He smacks the mat. He smacks the mat. He smacks the mat like three or four times. He was like trying to get the crowd to like clap or try to like do something like you know get some momentum or something, but to me that looked like he was tapping out. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, um, that was that was a twister or you know a cobra twist. I mean, it's basically the same move as an abdominal stretch, but on the ground. Yeah. Uh, you know who used to use that as a finisher briefly was uh, Tamatanga. Hmm. I don't know if you remember that. Like uh, a few years back, he was yeah, doing that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I, I did not notice this. I mean, maybe I was not paying full attention or I think if I recall, I think I just thought he was trying to get to the ropes. Well, cause he was, he, I think he was like trying to get the crowd to clap. And also I think he was trying to get to the ropes. He was pulling out that dragon leaders at sometimes too, where he yeah. kind, of, kind of smacks the mat, but he did it like multiple times. I'm like, well, I'll, I'll. Uh, petition our friends over at the IWGP. Have them take a look yeah, at it. And see yeah. if, uh... Red Shoes needs to get his license revoked, man. <laughs> Hanare was robbed. <laughs> his license revoked. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? Like if they did stories where like the referees fucked up and they like, had <laughs> and their like licenses did get revoked and yeah. shit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, Hanare was robbed here. Um. I'll tell you my thoughts on the match. It, it's kind of interesting because it's like uh, I liked the match, you know, and uh, I think this match is pretty divisive, to be honest with you, because I saw people that really did not like the match at all. And I've seen some people that are like hyping it quite a bit. I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. I liked it. I thought it told a good story. Uh, well, no, 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 I shouldn't say it. I feel like it served its purpose for what it needed to be. But. It was kind of a weird match in, in some respects because, like, when I – I started to say it told a good story. But you know what? I don't think it really told a story at all. Like, this was kind of your paint-by-numbers um, main event-style New Japan match, yeah. uh, which is good. I mean, that's something that we've been asking for a while to kind of see uh, from, you know, them give Hanari an opportunity to have that kind of match. And so in that respect, it was fine. But, I mean, Jeremy, what what 
if, if I had to ask you, what do you think the, the story of the match was? Well, I, honestly, I don't know. There are so many things that were going on. Initially, I thought the story was going to be like, all right, you know, Hanare picks, picks the leg apart, takes the wheel away. So now it's not going to be able to do a lot of his, you know, high-flying stuff. They abandoned that. And then Hanara was kind of overpowering Sonata, but then eventually Sonata just came back and started doing, you know, the Sonata comeback and Sonata moves, and then you had your, your closing sequence of exchange of finishers until Sonata got his finisher and, and won. Right. So, I mean, you could tell me the sequences, but it's not like there was a, a narrative that was really presented. And ultimately... Um, Toa Hanare lost, right? Yes. I think I think he uh, looked really good in the match. I think he showed that he could hang, which is probably what the test was. But it's a little concerning to me because I felt like for them to have given such a push to the guy very recently, if they were going to have him eat a loss, there needed to be some sort of narrative surrounding it. And there really wasn't. You know what I mean? Right. He just, it was, he just, he just lost. He, he, ate, he, he just lost. He ate a TKO. Like he fired up out, off the Tiger Suplex, kicked out at one, but then he ate a TKO, ate a moonsault, one, two, three, it's over. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In a G1, um, in, in certain um, – there's definitely times where you can do this exact kind of match, and it, and it fits perfectly and it's fine. But I feel like for, this, for the purpose of what they were building in this match, I mean – also taking an effect that like or you know that we as the viewers have been watching for weeks and weeks and weeks as they really built to this match through all these multi-man or you know and uh tag team affairs between these guys and it sort of felt like it was going to be the seminal moment and i'm not saying i expected a hundred percent that hanari is going to win i mean it, it makes sense that he you know would lose just given the fact that it, it's sonata i mean sonata's you know uh, a top guy in the company. So that part's not like out of the realm of uh reason, but the fact that there just wasn't really a story there is kind of concerning to me. Yeah. I guess maybe you can say, you know, Hanare was just showing more confidence um, than, he t- than he has before maybe, but even then it's like, uh, I don't know. And, and he was, you know, and, yeah. and that, and that part's great. And, you know, this felt like um, here's the okay. Here's the interesting thing: the main event. I thought I thought this match was better than the main event. I agree, but I can e- but I can easily tell you what the story of the main event was. Right. You know, mm-hmm. all those Naito Khan matches. You can easily tell what the story is in those matches, whereas t- this one was just like an athletic affair, and I felt like that wasn't the right kind of. St- they needed to have a narrative surrounding this type of match. If you're going to have Hanari lose his first big singles match that you've built to for weeks and weeks and weeks under this gimmick. Uh, I'm not saying that it's a hundred percent for sure that like he's cooked, but we talked about how like it was important that there be something, you know, um, really defining here. And ultimately I didn't feel like there was, I felt like this was almost like them kind of like, uh, Jobbing him out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, like, I feel like Hanare could have had this exact same match in the previous gimmick with Sonata. And it, it he, he easily could have. It would have came this, off the same. Yeah. Um, oh, one thing, the gear. He was wearing pants before, right? Yeah, he's been wearing pants for this match. He wore uh, trunks. Yeah, so maybe he's doing the same gimmick as Okan where he has, like, special 
uh, singles match gear. But, you know, I didn't like the gloves with the trunks, with the biker shorts. I thought that kind of looked strange to me. I didn't mind it, but. Yeah, uh, just, I don't know. Yeah. Trying to be trying to be as uh, analytical as it possibly can be, <laughs> but, but uh, um, Osprey was also out there uh, second him, which I thought we might have gotten some interference there. I was glad that we didn't. I mean, the United Kingdom hasn't really been a, a an interference heavy stable so right. far. I mean, there's there've been a few occasions you could definitely point to, but overall, I mean, that's not really been how they have functioned as a heel unit, which. It's kind of a breath of fresh air considering like everything going on with Bull Club. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I did think that that was the one thing that added uh, a bit of, you know, uh, uniqueness to the match was the fact that like Will Ospreay came out and seconded Hanare, but it ultimately that didn't lead to anything either. Right. And, you know, you know, we talked about last week, we felt like Hanare should have won this match. And if he was going to lose, I wish they would have done something similar to what they did with um, Okan Tanahashi, where Tanahashi kind of catches him off guard with a roll-up kind of thing. So it's like, wow, you know, it could have been like Hanare's in control, he's dominant, and then Tanahashi does like the European clutch and, and gets the win. And it's like, man, like, he's, he's kind of a banana peel kind of win. I mean, there was a uh, an element to the fact that uh, – Hanari kept trying to hit the streets of rage and he was never able to land that. So, I mean, if you wanted to point to that, that's fine. But I mean, I don't, I just didn't feel, I felt like, like you mentioned, this match could have easily happened under his previous gimmick. Uh, nothing really changed between the two, except for the fact that they've given him more of a, an outlet, a push and, and you know, more opportunity to kind of showcase what he's capable of. Yeah, and I, I get it. It's not a former, you know, New Japan Cup winner, IWGP challenger. But I don't know. I feel like he could have lost, especially on a Road 2 show. I feel like he could have ate this loss and would have been fine going forward. Now, here's another strange thing. And maybe I don't know if this is going to resonate with you or not. But, like, this match felt overly long to me, but it wasn't. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, like it, the it, match, the match is like 23 minutes. Yeah. But, um, and the match wasn't bad. I liked the match. I enjoyed it. But for some, but like, you know, often, t- okay, here's what I mean. Oftentimes when you like a match and you think it's, man, this is good. It's going good. And then you look at the time or you hear the call and you're like, fuck, they're 15 minutes in that breeze by that doesn't, this didn't feel like that at all. Like when they were like 10 minutes, I was like, fuck. <laughs> And I liked the match, like, but I was like, why does it feel like this match is taking so long? Like, I don't know. It's weird. uh, The whole, the the dynamics of the match were weird. Like I've got a lot of positive. It's a mixed bag. I think Sonata really stepped up his game. I loved the closing sequences. I mean, it felt like a, you know, one of your big, like Okada-esque sort of like closing sequences. Yeah. There's good stuff there. And the crowd... The crowd was really, really into it, but there's also like these wonky things that just fell off. I don't know. Yeah, I think during some of the Hanare control spots, I feel like the match was kind of slowed down to a halt and kind of dragged a little bit. Maybe uh, that was what it is. I don't yeah. know. But yeah, there's definitely good and bad in this match. Ultimately, I'm about about three and a half on this match. 
I would go almost I'd probably go like three and three quarters, but three and a half is probably appropriate. Uh, we do have a question here from EMJ does PR. He said first question, Hanara versus not a low key or high key banger? Probably like low key. <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't call it a high key banger. I mean, from on, on this wrestling Dontaku tour, um, you know, it's probably one of the, the top matches from this tour. But, this uh, night was probably one of the top nights of the tour so far. Yeah, yeah, definitely a, a low key banger. Uh, he also asked, "Do all of United Empire make it into the G One this year?" No, there's no way. I mean, they could, but like, I just feel like, I I feel like there's no way Hanar is getting into the G1. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I mean, if he was, I mean, a win over Sonata would have been a great, you know, way for him to yeah. establish himself. But at this point, yeah, there's a lot of big shows coming up where he's not really featured on. So I don't know what would be his, you know, kind of calling card as to what that would give him like a, a right to say he deserves to be in the G1. Yeah, we like to call that the. Uh the Yoshihashi treatment, you know, usually this time of the year, Yoshihashi gets a, a big singles win over somebody. And then Kevin Kelly is able to be like, that's a big win. That's uh, going to go a long way. In getting this guy, you know, some recognition for the G one, you know, <laughs> um, which also is like, what's today's date? The 28th. I mean, we're a couple days and there's still no English, uh, English language version on here. I'm kind of wondering what's going on with that. Yeah, I know some of them have gone up pretty quickly. Some of them, there's been a few day delays. So, yeah, I'm not sure what, yeah. what's going on. I'm not criticizing. It's just strange. Like, ver- like in the recent past, like, Kevin's been, like, knocking those out like nothing, you know? Yeah. I but mean, yeah. it should have called me. I, I would have done it. <laughs> yeah, I would have I done it, too. Uh, but, yeah, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see if if, if um, all four guys do end up in the tournament. But it's, it's going to be highly uh, – it's highly – I mean, I think – Obviously, Osprey and Cobb, I think, are, are locks. Um, I think Okan's a lock. Mm. I mean, Okan's I, not. Okan is not getting left out of the G one, bro. I, I don't think he should be, but the way they treat Okan, oh, sometimes I'm like, I wouldn't be surprised. I would be. I would be shocked. Well, we'll see when we get uh, into the into the fall. But uh, speaking of Ocon, let's talk about the main event here. Tetsuya Naito gets his win back, defeats the great Ocon, who was seconded by Cobb and Osprey. Twenty-seven minutes, five seconds. Yeah, um, and this is a, a interesting take for me because I enjoyed this match quite a bit. I I thought it was very good. Um, I did not like it as much as the match that was underneath it, but for some reason at 27 minutes, it didn't feel like 27 minutes to me. Like I felt like, uh, I felt like Naito and Okan went out there and wrestled a a pretty good pace for the 27 minutes that they were kind of allotted. And I felt like they told a much better, easier to follow story. Uh, it just maybe wasn't perhaps as action packed or have as crazy of an ending as the other match did. But, um, you know, I don't know. I felt like this match was a little bit more compelling from a, a story standpoint. Now, this this match dragged a little bit for me. Um, I, I was feeling that that twenty seven minutes, and I think part of it because it wasn't as action packed. And I think to me, you know, with Naito as a bay face, a lot of times he just gets in like the John Cena mode where it's just sell, sell, sell. He gets beaten down. I think there's a, a long period in this match where like Great O'Connor was in, in charge and just 
beating him down, beating him down. He's selling and, he, and he's trying to fight back. And so to me, that that kind of dragged a little bit. I could see that uh, for sure. Um, there's a, quite a few things that I saw them doing, though, that I thought uh, just were really good, like really good. And And you know what? That is kind of more that cerebral style. So, like, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. But, like, there's a lot of things I saw both of them doing here, like little things that kind of remind me of, like, like early Jay White sort mm. of, you know, where it's like this guy's definitely got something. But, um, you know, it's not all there. And that's kind of how I was feeling about Ocon. Um, one thing I noticed, I don't know if you picked up on this or if maybe, like, I don't know if you've been noticing, but, like, does Naito look physically like a lot better recently? Uh, I, I really have. It, it, to me, honestly, it's looked the same in the last uh, you know, few months. Well, you know, to be honest, I haven't been paying a lot of attention to his work, you know, on a lot of these tag matches. So, you know, kind of seeing him go out there and like, I felt like I'm not saying from a movement standpoint, you know, wrestling wise, mm-hmm. but physically, like. I, it's he started kind of looking like his old self like he looked like he trimmed up quite a bit and also he looks more muscular like it's the first time i'm feeling like i've seen definition in his shoulders and arms and his pecs and everything like that uh, you know in a while yeah um, and i'm i'm like man he's kind of looking good here man's getting ready for a world title match in oklahoma stadium that's very that's very possible <laughs> <laughs> that's very possible that that's the case but yeah, I do agree with you on, you know, Great O'Connor. Just like, I've noticed like this little things he does in the ring and just like character work and just how he kind of establishes himself. Uh, I think it's been really good. That's the one thing I love about Great O'Connor. I feel like he's always trying something new and constantly evolving. Um, I like the the opening match where he's, uh, part of the match where, he, you know, he's pulling guard and trying to get Naito into his guard. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I thought the early grappling sequences were cool. There was a lot of uh, moves that like um, Naito did in the match where like Okan did some pretty crazy fucking bumps. Uh, a lot of like spiking, rolling bumps. Um, what's the move that he does from the uh, top rope? It's like a um, like that like flipping f- DDT thing. Yeah, I don't know the name of that move, but that move, like when he he took that and like fucking ate it like a, like a pro. Yeah, uh, there was a cell that he did off of one of the um, swinging DDTs and swinging swinging uh, neck breakers. Like he he bumped his ass off in this match. Like yeah. it's kind of crazy. Yeah, and uh, he busted out the uh, the tents on uh, Tombstone Driver. Kind of yeah yeah he did that, that. and then uh, I really liked the reversal of the the claws into well first he did a backbreaker combo with it which was cool but then later on um when he was doing the claw kind of got reversed into a destino which was pretty dope yeah and kicking kicking out of that one of the of that destino from the reversal uh he kicked out of two destinos in this match right he kicked out the running one which Normally everybody kicks out the running Destino, but then yeah, the Destino off the off the Eliminator. I thought that was going to be it. We kicked out of that too, but that set up for the, the third Destino, and uh, Naito got the win there. The proper Destino, yeah, the the arm rung and gets him down. So yeah, so United Empire zero and two here in these single matches. Lij gets the last lap on this night. Yeah, I I always tend to really like these 
Naito Okan matches uh, for whatever reason. And it's strange because like, I would never, if someone was like, what was something that you saw that was really good that you could recommend to me? I wouldn't necessarily recommend these matches uh, unless someone was like a kind of invested in these characters, you know? Yeah. But, um, they just, they tell really good pro wrestling stories. You know, they're not like the most action packed thing that you can see out there. It's not, you know, Phoenix on dynamite every week or anything like that. But I, I find these matches to be pretty compelling personally. Uh, I probably would have taken maybe like say five, six, seven, eight minutes off of this match. And then, you know, you end up with something that's probably really good for the month at that point if you do that. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the New Japan Cup matchup better. Um, I thought it was a, a, a more kind of special moment, too. Also, that's kind of yes. gone to the wayside now. But, uh, yeah, I like the New Japan Cup match better. But, yeah, they still told a great story here. And we're still seeing great Okan evolve and kind of kind of flush out this this character and, and the work that he has in the ring. The one thing I didn't like about the well, there's a, I mean, we kind of voiced a few uh, criticisms, but one thing I was surprised by that I was waiting on that really never panned out was like how much character work was involved in the build up to this, you know, with Naito kind of doing the mocking and, uh, you know, the the way that uh, Okanis kind of responded to that sort of behavior and you sort of, I sort of expected that to play out in this match to some degree. It never really happened. I mean, you didn't see, I mean, unless there was something I missed, but I felt like it was, that wasn't really what they were doing out there. Right. The only thing that really happened was at the very beginning where O'Connell's trying to get him in the guard and then like Naito was playing around. He grabbed like Red Shoes' leg. He shot on Red Shoes for a second. Um, but yeah. Then, but then after that, like he was like pretty much like serious Naito and there was no like, it wasn't like the first like, New Japan Cup match where he was doing a lot of the taunting. Where he didn't take him seriously. Right. And so, like you mentioned, yeah, in the, the row two and the tag man, the multi-man tag matches, they were kind of continuing that story of Naito kind of goofing around, not taking him seriously. But I think Naito obviously learned from the singles match that he does have to take him seriously. And so. Right. And that's fine. Um, I mean, that's it's a pretty natural uh, progression. You know, he he didn't take him serious the first time. So he learned from that and, you know, learned it's not a game for the second match, but the build didn't really reflect that. That's the story they were telling necessarily. Uh, so I felt like that was a little confusing. It so, sort of reminded me of the feud that Naito had a couple years back that we were left uninspired by with him and Suzuki. Mm, yeah. Where it felt like, there were certain story elements that they were telling in the build match after match. And then the actual match happened and very little of that was reflected in the layout of the, of the match itself. Yeah. We thought we were going to get like a wild, crazy brawl and ended up being like Suzuki just having him in like a leg lock for like 10 minutes. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. And this wasn't quite that, but it's kind of similar in the sense that there were certain themes that were like teased that never really came into focus in the match. Yeah. Well, that wraps up uh, the Road Wrestle.Taku on April 26th. We have uh, four big shows here to uh, preview and give predictions for. So first, so we're recording on uh, Tuesday, April 27th, and by the time you guys hear this, it will be Wednesday, April 28th, and uh, the first night of wrestling Satsuma Nukuni will have happened. 
Uh, but we're going to go ahead and run the card down and give our uh, predictions here. Uh, so show's going to be opening up with Gabriel Kidd and Tiger Mask taking on Yota Suji and Yuyamura. Going with uh, Tiger Mask here on for the win here for the, that team. You want to give uh, predictions for these undercard matches? Uh, we don't have to. We're going to kind of run through them. They and... just seem so unimportant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, second match, once again, we will have Doki, Taichi, and Zack Sabre Jr. against Jado, Tamatanga, Tangaloa. Third matchup, we'll have uh, Tanahashi, Master Wato, and Taguchi versus Gato, Taiji, and Yujiro. Fourth matchup, we will have uh, Bushi, Sonata, Shingo, and Naito against Aaron Hanara, Gato Kanja, Cobb, and Will Ospreay. Then the semi-main event of the evening will be for the KOPW 2021 Provisional Championship as Toriano defends against Evil in a Creation of Darkness match. Yeah, uh, this is like damned if you do, damned if you don't territory because it's like, on the one hand, if Evil loses, it frees him up to be out there causing all kinds of havoc on my new Japan viewing. <laughs> like, you know, if he wins, he's kind of relegated to this one KOPW gimmick and that's fine. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know that I want them to elevate the KOPW uh, gimmick in any way, shape or form. And if he wins that, it seems like maybe that's what will happen. So it's like, I don't, I don't really see a positive outcome here. Um, I'm hope. I guess for the sake of everything, here's my my logic. Evil's at his own status right now. Period. I don't see them giving him a, a strong demotion anytime soon. But KOPW is at this one level, and hypothetically, it could be raised. But I don't want it to be. I'd I'd prefer for it to stay as this middling undercard you know joke so I'm, I'm gonna go with Toriano retaining just because I can't really even imagine what anyone else holding this title in New Japan what that even looks like like I hope no one else ever wins the KOPW title yeah I, I'm going with Toriano here also I feel like this is just his this is his gimmick at this point you know he has a KOPW um shirt he has a big, you know, long introduction that he does, and he has all the KOPW trophies that have his little jacket on there. I think this is his little vehicle for him, something fun for him to do, and a way to kind of subtly push Yano throughout the year. So another I, another fear I have is that if Evil wins, then maybe Yano turns around and chases back after him to regain this shit. Right. And I don't know if I can stomach another. Yano evil feud like or constant you know I just can't do it right then get a bunch more uh, chaos bullet club multi-mans <laughs> bro I'm over this shit like I can't I can't stomach it like it's so fucking bad yeah it, it, it's rough but yeah I'm going with Yano here and uh, hopefully yeah we can uh, just move on to something better for both of those guys this is probably like one of the least anticipated matches for me in new japan history like <laughs> yeah. i don't want to watch it yeah i might boycott it <laughs> on principle 
then we have the uh, the main event here for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Titles. Rapungi 3K show and Yo will defend against the Suzuki Goon team of El Desperado and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Yeah, um, this should be good, but you know, it's the match that we've seen. Uh, I I gave the official count on the show a couple weeks ago, and it was something insane. Um, I'm assuming that uh, Rapungi 3K is going to retain here. I'm going to go with Despi and Kanemaru getting the belts back. Uh, Why? Well, they've been slowly kind of telling the story of of show kind of maybe being jealous of Yo's getting a singles title match and so this kind of leads into my prediction going forward but I feel like they'll drop the belts here and possibly you could have Yo uh defeat Desperado and set up show to challenge Yo for the title. Yeah, I guess you could do that. Um I mean, I I'm not sure what's really happening like going forward. Um, you know, as far as like the, I don't know, I'm just trying to think of like what's going on in the junior division. It's like part of me, like my initial gut reaction is that like they just put the title on Desperado. So it would be pretty shitty for them to turn around and put it on yo like that. But who knows? Maybe that's what they are planning to do. Maybe you're right. I, I just don't see yo winning the title though, personally. Uh, the same way how I didn't really see show winning it either. So I feel like Desperado's I feel like there's more upside currently with, with Desperado, although I don't know, it does kind of feel like he's cooled off a little bit these past few months. Yeah, well it's a, the lack of focus on, on him and, and while also you know there's not much they could really do with junior division with just so so little guys there. So there's definitely been a lack of focus on that division in the last couple of months. So he's definitely cooled off since, you know, the, the big win and facing Ibushi uh, right. a few months ago. Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely true. So, And, you know, um, they never even planned to put the title on him originally anyways. You know, right. something they kind of just happened to fall into based on uh, Hiromu's torn pec. So who knows if, if they – you could be right here. Um, I'm just thinking, like – I don't know, like they're going to retain. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just feels like that's a lot of title switching to be doing back to back to back in both the junior and junior tag team divisions. I know, I know that they have a history of that, but it just seems excessive right now to be doing it that way. Um, you know, last week, one thing we we neglected to discuss was all the stuff Hiromu has been doing recently, like him cleaning the, uh, the ring, but in between the uh, the during the intermission, yeah. And there was one show where he did he did the the, the closing like send home announcement, like drive home safe announcements. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah he was he was talking on Twitter saying that he wanted to do English commentary with Kevin Kelly. Yeah, so that that's just been pretty funny. Uh, and he, uh, also, he threw out a, yeah, a KOPW stipulation that he wants he wants like a no English match. You're not allowed to speak English. For the match. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you uh if you speak English for any reason, um, you know, you get disqualified. Now my question with that is what does he mean speak in the match? Does he mean like, you know, calling shit? <laughs> well he said the example he said was like if you said like, hey ref, that should have been three. Right, but like, okay, if you are in the ear of your uh 
opponent and you're like drop down tackle um do you can the other guy like motion to the referee that you spoke english in his ear and tattle and you lose you know uh, i mean i guess you could if you if you want to you know not follow the script and call it call a shoot <laughs> like you get in his ear time to go home brother <laughs> no 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 he's he spoke english <laughs> no you got you gotta speak uh japanese but uh, yeah, Hiromu has been uh, kind of just like popping up all over the place uh, in random places throughout this tour, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. So hopefully, hey man, y- y- your guess about this match could be as good as anybody's. I mean, I I don't even have a feeling of insight into this right. like at all. Honestly, personally. I'm, I'm I'm just throwing it out there. Like I don't have like I don't feel 100 percent confident in it, but I just feel like the, the junior division is such in a state of flux right now, and. Like if, if, uh, if uh, Show and Yo retain, who's next? Uh, my my whole thinking is this: Yo is about to challenge for the junior title, so he needs to win to be made to look strong in his defense before he challenges, and I think inevitably loses. So I'm probably looking at it from the different psychology than you. I know you're. It seems like you're focusing a little bit more on the tag team dynamics of Show and Yo. Right. I'm sort of just thinking about Yo as a uh, challenger. He kind of needs to win here to justify his getting a title shot, basically, is what I'm thinking. Yeah. I mean, cause I'm thinking maybe Sho eats the pin here due to some miscommunication, maybe him trying to steal steal the glory or something or whatever. He gets pinned, which leads to more issues between him and Yo, but Yo doesn't get pinned, so he still looks strong going into the title match. It's definitely possible. I, I, I'm I'm at the point where I'm done predicting splits with these guys because they just never go with it. Yeah. So, like, and, until they show me something different, I'm not even going to anticipate it. Yeah, that, that's a good point. But then uh, Thursday, April 29th, we'll have night two of wrestling's at Sumanu Kuni. Open up with Suji and Yamura against Bushi and Sonata. Then we'll have Sho and Yo and Tiger Mask against Despi, Suzuki, and Kanamaru. Then we'll have Doki, Taichi, and Saber against Jado, Tamatanga, and Tangaloa. Fourth matchup, we'll have Tenzon, Wato, Taguchi, and Yano against Togo, Evil, Taiji, Shimori, and Yujiro Takahashi. Semi-main event, we will have Shingo and Naito against Great Okan and Will Ospreay. And the main event, we have the return of Kota Ibushi, Golden Ace, Tanahashi and Ibushi will take on the ultimate weapon, Aaron Hanare, and the hatchet, Jeff Cobb. Yeah, I feel like these top two matches are probably going to be, you know, the ones to sort of look out for. Um, I mean, you look at Shingo and Naito against Okan and Will Ospreay. I mean, you there's definitely people you could see there. Like, for instance, Okan kind of like is obviously like a potential pin eater there. But... At the same time, I mean, in a big high-profile tag team match like this, like, you know, um, anything's possible. But, yeah, I mean, you got four big stars there. I'm, I'm guessing because they are probably they probably are gearing up for Naito, uh, potentially being another challenger here in the near future, plus Shingo and Will Ospreay, you know, are about to have a title match. It's, it looks like Okan is going to be looking at the lights now. I'm kind of thinking about it a little bit more, huh? Yeah, that would make the most sense here. And then, uh, but either either way, I mean, um, I am wondering if this will continue. Uh, the issue between Naito and Okan, maybe we get a a, a rubber match. Uh, if not here, then probably down the road, 
or if this is sort of like the blow off for the time being between them, which seems like that might be the case. Yeah, yeah. To me, I think it might yeah, kind of be the blow off. I think yeah, Naito is going to be moving into the title picture. And then um, on the other side, you know, we got Golden Ace against uh, United Empire, Aaron Hanar- yeah, Aaron Hanari and Jeff Cobb. One thing that's been interesting is um, all throughout this tour, we've been building to a Tanahashi Jay White match for the Never Title, but Jay's not really been on the tour. So there hasn't been a way to kind of like focus that attention aside from like post-match comments and, and, you know, things that they've been doing on social media, that sort of thing. Right. Gato has kind of been the stand-in for Jay and he's been booing Tanahashi when he takes his jacket off to reveal his abs. And a lot lot of the the buildup for that match has been between the interaction between Gato and Tanahashi. Right. And I know that we've uh, got – you know, kind of a personal issue between Abushi and Jeff Cobb. That match is coming up. But, I mean, what do you think about the inclusion of Hanare and Tanahashi in this match? I mean, we haven't seen Abushi and Tanahashi team up together as a tag team proper in quite a while. I mean, what what are you thinking here? Yeah, it, it's very interesting that they decided to, you know, put Golden Ace back here together in this main event against United Empire. Like you mentioned, we know that Abushi has an issue with Cobb. But interesting, yeah, we have Tanahashi and Hanare. So maybe there are trying to foreshadow what's next. You know, maybe Tanahashi's going to beat Jay, and then Aaron Hanare steps up as the the next challenger for the Never title. Yeah, and I mean, um, May 3rd is Jay White against Tanahashi. We haven't heard or seen from Jay White at all. I wouldn't be surprised if Jay White gets involved in this match. Yeah, I mean, um, either in fair or post-match, you know, Right. Let's, let's say Golden Ace wins, and you could have Jay come out and attack both these guys. Post match or even pre match, mm. both potentially seem like the more likely scenario. It's pretty rare that we see someone from a rival faction interfere during, um, you know, another faction, you know, heel factions match yeah. like that. But you know, that might be something cool to shake things up. I remember when um, when Jericho attacked Evil. Right as he was making his entrance to fight Zack Sabre. Yeah. And that was like something that I was like, we never see that sort of thing. Because again, you know, people from different groups just really don't get involved in matches like that, you know? Right. So, uh, you know, maybe that's something. But it, I mean, we've only got a few days before they're supposed to fight each other with little to no interaction since the tour started. So I think that that's a, a high likelihood that they get involved somehow, some way. Yeah, so who do you think will get the win here? Um, I'm <laughs> I'm gonna be a little cheeky here and say the United Empire is gonna get the win. I'm kind of banking on the idea that Jay White is gonna get involved. Although, you know, Aaron Hanare is probably gonna eat the pinfall. <laughs> yeah, I see a Kamagoya going right through Aaron Hanare's head, uh, Golden Ace getting the win. It's Abushi's big, you know, comeback match. Tanahashi had the title match in a couple of days. You want those guys to look strong, so Yeah, I need to change my decision. Like there's no way Golden Ace is losing <laughs> here. Like I'm just kinda thinking like like what if Jay White like fucks up Tanahashi what, before the match? He could he could though. Right. But, you know. At the same time, I'm just like, yeah, Kodobushi's probably going to win. Yeah. Well, that's uh, night two of wrestling, Satsuma Nukuni. 
Then on Monday, May 3rd, we will have night one of Wrestling Don Taku 2021. The show will open up. We'll have Toriano, Hiroshi Tenzan, Tiger Mask, and Master Wato versus Evil, Yujiro Takahashi, Taiji Shimura, Dick Togo. Second matchup, we'll have Kazuchika Okada, Sho and Yo against Minoru Suzuki, Desperado, and Kanamaru. Third matchup, we'll have Osprey, Great Okan, Aaron Hanare, Jeff Cobb against Shingo, Naito, Sonata, and Bushi. Then the fourth matchup, we will have Zack Sabre Jr. versus Tangaloa. If Zack wins, the Techers will get a title shot. If Sabre loses, the Techers can never challenge for the tag team titles again. I think it's pretty clear Zack Sabre Jr. is winning the match here. Yeah, uh, that, that's a kind of a, a dead give. That stipulation was definitely a, a dead giveaway there. Um, this feud's obviously been going on, and there's not many other teams for out there to face G.O.D. So, yeah, I think Sabre's definitely winning this matchup. This would be the most absurd feud, unless they have some sort of twist plan that we don't know about, if Zach lost. Right. Like, if Zach lost, then it's like, then what's the what's the point, you know? Right. So, yeah, I think that definitely, yeah, the, the thing that makes the most sense here is, yeah, Zach getting the win here. And then... Um, Semi-main event, we have the Iron Finger from Hell ladder match as Tai Chi takes on Tamatonga. Yeah, this one's an interesting one. There was one um, during the the opening of the show, There's, or maybe it wasn't the opening of the show, but it might have been the post-match, but there was one point where one of these, I think it was Tangaloa, was like, you're going to get the Iron Finger. <laughs> yeah, it was Tangaloa, yeah. <laughs> And I was like, why does that sound like some sort of, like, fucking medieval BDSM, like, sex <laughs> act? Like, it sounds like, like, the iron finger. Like, fuck, I don't want to get the iron <laughs> finger. Like, or maybe you do. I, maybe I do. I don't know. Like, <laughs> what are you trying? Like, that's, like, one of those things, like, you know, you bust that out, and she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Jump with a gun there. <laughs> what the fuck are you trying to do with that thing? What is that for? Who are you using that on? You're not using that on me. <laughs> like, I've I've never called... You know, I've ne- I don't know if you've noticed this, but since we've been doing the show, I've never really called it the Iron Fingers. I've always called... Or, or Finger, as they refer to it. It's always been... The claw, the iron claw from hell, because that's badass to me. Yeah. There's there's no confusion about me maybe possibly doing some sort of weird sex act on you with the iron claw from hell. But with the iron finger, I mean, you never know. Right. Leads, leads a lot to the imagination. You're going to get the iron finger. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, God. Oh, man. What the fuck's going on in this company? But, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, Tai Chi is going to get the win here and get custody back of the Iron Finger. Yeah, it's going to be a big night for G.O.D. I mean, uh, this is supposed to hypothetically lay to rest the, the Iron Finger because the deal is whoever wins the match obtains the ownership of the Iron Finger or the Iron Claw from Hell, and then they can no longer bring it out to matches. That was – at least how Sugabayashi sort of framed it. Yeah. Now, if they, now if they follow their own, um, you know, stipulations, who knows, you know, cause we're still getting ongoing chops, but, um, 
if that is the case, I mean, it, it just seems like the logical progression of the story would be that Taichi gets Iska's, you know, iron finger back. So, I mean, it, I don't know what would happen in this company if Tamatanga had the permanent, you know, um, ownership. Like, that man was going crazy when he had that shit. So. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, I still think it would make sense story-wise for him to be the one to end up with it. I think it makes a lot of sense to have both Techers get the win in singles matches. So they definitely, even though I know the stipulations on a Sabre match, with both of them winning, there's definitely a claim there for them getting a title shot. So I think it'd be a great right. way to, and especially with, I feel like Techers have been getting beat down a lot throughout this tour um, in, the, in the never-ending six-man uh, tag matches they've been doing with them and Doki against Jado and G.O.D., so I feel like some comeuppance for them and getting some momentum going into uh, eventually challenging for the tag titles. One of my favorite lines is when Zach will be like, we did more for this tag team division in six months than you've done in six title reigns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's another great uh, Sarah backstage where he was like burying the amount of tag matches on the road to oh, shows. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like he's like you know what what good is this? It's not good to anybody. Like, yeah, what the I fuck is this I for? the bloody preview match. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the main event of Dantaku Night One. We've got the never open weight champion, um, Jay White or Hiroshi Tanahashi. Oh my god, I I'm at the point where like I'm ready to like just strap up Jay White. Wow, uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, the never open weight champion, will be defending his uh, crown against Jay White. Yeah, big uh, matchup for Jay. This is the the Bullet Club anniversary shows here, the Wrestling Don Taku. So I'm sure we'll see some uh, Bullet Club kimonos. But uh, this, I, I feel like this is definitely one that can go either way. But I, I don't know. I, I'm I th- I'm riding with the ace. I think Tanahashi is going to keep the belt, keep the never title, and go forward. Uh. I I don't know. I'm I'm gonna go with uh, Jay. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm... like I don't really have like a good compelling reason. I think part of it is Jay is trying to obviously sort of um, you know, facilitate this this whole quadruple champion historic thing that no one else has done, and at the you know. The way things are currently, like, Jay White's not even the top heel in the company right now. So, you know, if if he loses, there's really going to be a, a lot of attention not really, you know, on him at all. But he can kind of deflect from that quite a bit if he's able to, you know, belt himself up. With Tanahashi, it's Tanahashi. I mean, he, he can have the title and it's great and everything, but he doesn't necessarily need it either. You know what I mean? Right, I just I don't know. I was because I, I know this match is probably not going to be a quote unquote never style match. I know a lot of the build up here has been between both these guys trying to make each other uh, submit. So I'm sure we're gonna get a lot of submission based stuff here between both these guys. But I feel like going forward, Tanahashi can have uh, more never style matches with people, especially if that previous uh, matchup with uh, United Empire is a foreshadowing against Hanare. Um, to just kind of continue to have more narrow style matches, I would like Tanahashi to get it going forward. If Jay gets him going forward, I don't, you know, I think we're definitely going to kind of see this abandonment of the the never style. Oh, bro, I've already, I've already like resigned myself to believing that that shit's done. Like, I I have no reason to believe that unless that title 
is firmly around the waist of someone like Shingo, Goto, Suzuki, Ishii, someone of that ilk, you know, Nagata, the whole never thing is done. Like, you know, and I think that that's an unfortunate byproduct of the unification of the IC title with the world title. So I think this is the de facto number two belt. Um, we used to make jokes. I don't know if you were, if we were uh, friends back then, but me, Rich, and James used to make jokes about how the world title was actually the intercontinental belt mm. <laughs> years ago. And it was, and the world and the intercontinental belt was nowhere near what it had been in say the eighties and the nineties. You know, the, the world title was basically the number two belt in the company yeah. when guys like Seamus and Dana Bryan held it and shit like that. So, uh, I kind of think that that's sort of what's happened here, but in reverse, like this is the number two belt. It's not going to be, you know, um, defined by a style of match but more so by its stature in the company it's the number two belt it's held by top guys i think jay white holding it adds quite a bit to this new you know increased lineage that they have going um and you're right it could go either way um the main thing i'm hoping for is that the match actually just deliver yeah yeah if it's a great main event uh, i'll be you know Fine, either way, who whoever wins. I mean, these are both both of these guys are guys you can just if you, you just can't count either of these guys out. I feel like there's times that I I don't pick Tanahashi, Tanahashi wins. There's times I don't pick Jay White, and Jay White wins. You could never count either of these guys out, and they're against each other here. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. They've had six matches. Three of them, I uh, they had a stretch of matches from October of 2018 to June of 2019. Three matches in a row that I th- all thought were really, really good, you know? Um, but then there've been, you know, like their first G1 match, the most recent match they had in the New Japan Cup, and then their Wrestle Kingdom 12 match I wasn't as high on. So uh, they're very hit and miss when it comes to my enjoyment of their their matches. Uh, but I, I, I'm very confident that if they want to, they can go out there and have a great match and, given the fact that it's on a big show like Duntaku and the stakes that are in place, I, I do think they're going to go out there and probably deliver um, all time. I don't know if you know this, but like Jay white is four and two against Tanahashi. So I don't know if that's going to mm. sway, sway your decision one way or the other. If, if you see it as though Jay sort of has Tanahashi's number in his older age, or if it's sort of like, it makes all the sense in the world that Tanahashi might even things up a little bit here, get a successful defense. Um, my whole, I guess my main just way of thinking about it is like, what are the, what do you do with Jay after this? And I think you have more options for booking in the company if Jay wins, as opposed to if Tanahashi wins. That's true. Uh, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to ride with the ace. I think it's going to be a night, even though it's supposed to be the Bullet Club anniversary, we're going to get three uh, Bullet Club losses straight in a row here with G.O.D. losing their singles matches and Jay losing here. And it kind of ended up being a sour night for, for Bullet Club. It definitely would be. Um, there's also the the heel factor. I mean, if, you know, Will Ospreay is the IWGP world title holder. If Jay White wins, you've got two of your top heels holding the top two titles in the company simultaneously. That's another thing to kind of consider. I mean, um, I don't know, but with the way that this company has been loving heat lately, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, they definitely could. (laughs) Yeah. It might be right up their alley. 
Yeah. And I feel like going forward, if Jay doesn't win, um, I think you can just try to move him into another kind of heavyweight feud and then eventually get him heated up for like a big match at uh, one of the upcoming uh, Russell Grand Slam shows. You know, and with how hot he was earlier in the year when the contract negotiations were sort of in flux, we anticipated that there was going to be a bigger overarching story that sort of panned out from that. And then it, it kind of does feel like things cooled off once they brought him in and had him feud with like Tomohiro Ishii right out the gate uh, and di- sort of didn't capitalize on what they had built. You know what I mean? Uh, so with saying that, I mean, maybe there is still plans in place to do something kind of unique and compelling. And maybe a loss could be the catalyst for something like that, you know? Right, yeah. With with how his character is. Yeah, I definitely feel like they dropped the ball on, on following up on all the buzz they had of him and the whole contract negotiation stuff. And so, yeah. Maybe yeah, like, bro. He, he was like the hottest guy in the industry for like, you know, a few weeks. <laughs> yeah, literally everybody was talking, you know, where's Jay going to go? Is he going to show up in WWE, AEW, or is it, what's happening? And so there was so much buzz, and I feel like they could have set that up for a, a bigger matchup and some bigger moments and bigger storylines, but they failed to capitalize on that. But, yeah, maybe a Jay loss here could, you know, Reignite some of the stuff that they were working on with him and Ishii and Chaos and all that stuff um, at the beginning of the year. We shall see. So then we'll uh, we'll move on to night two of Wrestling Dantaku, which will be on Tuesday, May 4th. The show will open up with surprise, surprise, Tai Chi, Zack Sabre Jr., and Doki against Tamatanga Tangaloa and Jado. Then we will have Okada and Sho against Suzuki and Kanamaru. Naito, Sonata, and Bushi versus Okan, Hanare, and Cobb. Fourth matchup, Tanahashi, Yano, Tenzan, and Taguchi, and Master Wato against Jay White, Evil, Kenta, Yujiro, and Taiji Ishimori. Then the semi-main event, we will have the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship on the line as El Esperado defends against Yo. Yeah, uh, so what are we thinking here on these ones? Yeah, so like we mentioned earlier, I feel like Desperado has cooled down. There's not a lot of buzz behind him right now. There has been a lot of focus on Yo, kind of this repackaging of his gear, his music, and there's a lot of emphasis on him, you know, in the tag title win. Um, there's a lot of focus on him and him getting the win there and then uh, kind of being kind of standout or kind of the guys kind of push, quote-unquote, during the, the multi-mans on this Road to Wrestling Dantaku tour. Um I think it's just been a lot to to build up Yo here, and so I'm gonna go with a title change. I'm gonna go with Yo um, capturing his first junior heavyweight championship here against El Desperado. Has Desperado had a single successful title defense yet? Uh, I don't think so. No, this is this is first defense, right? Yeah, I, I I'm gonna go with Desperado. I mean. I see what you're saying, and it, it makes sense. You know, they did a lot to build up Yo. I think that there's probably still a narrative there surrounding Rapongi 3K if he doesn't win. And sure, that you could tell a story if he does win, obviously. But for my, the way I'm just thinking about it is like Desperado's never defended the title. Uh, to me, it would just kind of seem um, – I don't know. I just feel like that would be very – sort of quick to get the belt off of him right away 
when, you know, they've done some pretty cool, you know, things with him recently, you know, in, in big buildings and there's definitely a buzz about him, but I mean, you know, maybe I'm disconnected from, from the domestic fan base. I don't know. I mean, I know showing you are big, you know, they're big stars too. So it's hard to, hard to say, but, um, I'm thinking Despy gets this one. Um, and yo can go off on his way and, you know, they can they can tell their story with Sho and Yo from that point going forward. Um, you know, he failed in his title defense and Desperado will, you know, keep being a badass and fuck people up. Yeah, against another matchup here that could go either way. And I wouldn't be like I wouldn't be surprised if Desperado does retain. Like you made some great points there, and yeah, they could continue with Desperado retaining and kind of give him a better title run, get him some more defenses down the line. I'm just thinking like with the show and yo aspect of it, sure. If yo were to just come back from his uh, injuries and automatically win the title that, you know, shows tried multiple times, you know, to, to win and has never been successful. Th- there's definitely a story there, but I also think that there's something kind of compelling in, in the sense of like, if he fails as well, and then they're kind of left there together as the tag team champions, you know? Mm, yeah. And so, like, they've both failed. They both have the same prize in mind, but they've, they're have they also, the you know, the tag team champions. And it's kind of becoming clear, like, hey, something's got to happen here. And, you know, I think if you're telling a story of uh, – miscommunication or you know if there's some sort of you know issue brewing between them you could easily do that based off the fact that they both failed you know at winning the top prize right Uh, i don't i don't think i don't think that's it's sort of similar to the story they told in ott um when walter was like the top guy and they had the jordan devlin and and, uh, david Starr stuff going on yeah and they were both failures, you know, <laughs> and that was sort of what kind of dro- drove the um, the wedge between those guys. Yeah. Yeah. And also and also the fact that they were both, you know, competing like the competition as well. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a compelling. They can definitely do something like that here. And if they are, you know, forced to still be champions and, you know, you can tease out that dissension as they defend the titles until it finally it's a breaking point. Yeah, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe you're absolutely right. You know, they repackaged Joe. They gave them new music. Maybe that is what this is all building to. Maybe that's why they opted to put the tag titles on them straight out the gate as opposed to going the traditional route with what you would do in most Pro companies when someone returns from a long injury and have them lose night one. They didn't do that. So maybe that maybe that's why he's going to win. I don't know. Yeah, so it should be a, a pretty good matchup, though. So, I am excited for the match, and I'm also excited to see Yo on this stage because, you know, we've seen him in some Super Juniors uh, main events, but they've been few and far between. We've never really seen him on a big, big main, you know, semi-main event stage like this before. Yeah, Show's been the one to kind of get all the kind of big uh, semi-main events or main events going forward, and so. Yeah, it's great. Yo's getting a shot here, and it should be a really good matchup, so looking forward to it. I mean, I'll tell you this much. Like, if I was the Yo of our podcast and 
everyone was giving all the opportunities to you. And I knew, and I, and I knew deep down that I'm the better podcast host of the two of us. Then when they give me my shot, I'm going to fucking shoot my shot and show, (laughs) show everybody, you know? And like, I don't know. I feel like Yoshi got there with like a chip on his shoulder being like, yo, I'm not, you know, Marty Yonetti. Right. Like the fuck I'm yo Michaels. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So yeah, we'll see if uh, yo can prove that on uh, Tuesday. So then that brings to the the main event of Wrestling Dontaku Night 2. The IWGP World Heavyweight Championship will be on the line as Will Ospreay defends against the Dragon, Shingo Takagi. Very much looking forward to this match. Uh, thrilled that we're getting it twice in a calendar year. Uh, we did just get this match. What was that? Was that, uh, that, was the, the finals of the New Japan Cup? Yes. Yeah. So just a couple months ago, and um, or maybe even less than that. But you know, my thinking here is just like I I love Shingo. It seems insane that he would lose back to back in the same year to Osprey, but Osprey is the top heel in the company, and I just feel like in his first title defense, they're not going to have him drop the belt to Shingo when he already beat Shingo this past year. Yeah, I agree. I don't think Osprey is going to leave without that world heavyweight title. But for me, with Shingo losing, I feel like they kind of need to go the the hour draw here. You think they're going the hour draw? I mean, I, I, I don't want Shingo to get another loss. So I think you can protect this matchup by doing the draw. Then you could do another Shingo-Osprey match later on in the year and have Shingo beat him. Uh, I, th- I definitely think that's possible. Um, and yeah, you'd mentioned the hour draw in the past. You've sort of alluded to it. So I guess that's not out, you know, it's not like it's inconceivable that they could do that. Um, I'm just thinking, I don't know for me, I think you put over Will Ospreay strong going into these dome shows. You know that's true. Uh, yeah, you got you got yeah, Gresham Grand Slam right on the right coming right up. I mean, there's definitely been times like you know we can point to the most recent you know situation that would be similar to this when it was Kenny and Okada, and they went an hour long draw and it it raised the stature of both guys. So I mean, I can't imagine that an hour long draw between Shingo and Osprey would suck or you know diminish them in any way. But I'm just feeling like, from a character standpoint, uh, with you're about to go into those two domes, like I feel like you really need to have a strong champion going in. And I think that Osprey beats Shingo again. That's my. I don't know how. I don't know what the involvement is. I'm not going to call that, but that's my prediction. Yeah, and also too to think about something that kind of throws um, my hour draw out the window could be just the, the timing of the show. I know they've been trying to get shows done in a certain time limit because of the COVID restrictions. I know this show is not in Tokyo, but there still might be um, restrictions on kind of how fast they want to get the show done, and so they might not. Yeah, be they kind of got lucky in that you know these last couple weeks of shows were outside of you know Tokyo. And, you know, not really 
subject to the the heightened um, state of emergency rules, but you know uh, we're going to get to it here in the news in a moment. But there's been a bunch of cancellations, and so you're right. There could be some um, there could be some like curfew rules and things like that for the show as well. Yeah. So in that case, I'll just go with uh, Osprey getting the clean win or just winning. He might not. He might cheat, but getting the win over Shingo. Yep. Well, that will bring us now. And, and I'm excited because you know, I don't think uh, I don't think I've ever seen those guys have less than like a four and three quarter star match. Yeah, I mean, there's it's incredible. So yeah, it, it should it's be, crazy. Yeah, it should be another phenomenal matchup between those two guys. A you know, it'll be our early uh, May match of the month uh, contender. So we should, should be some great stuff there. So uh, moving on into the news, like we were talking about, um, as a result of the state of emergency declared across Tokyo, New Japan arrived at a decision to cancel uh, three events on the road to Wrestle Grand Slam tour. That was on May 8th, May 10th, and May 11th at Corkin Hall. We had a question here from Reddit user The Peaky Blinder with the Tokyo Road to shows being canceled due to the state of emergency. How long do you think they will leave it before making a decision on the Dome shows going forward? Also, if both Yokohama Stadium and the Dome shows being limited to 5,000 max capacity, do you think they should go ahead anyway? 5,000 in a stadium the size of Yokohama will look ridiculous. Jingu did last year, and that is half the size of Yokohama. Yeah, so that's really bad news. Um, you know, because we were, I mean, I don't know the geography, but from what I understand, Yokohama is not necessarily in Tokyo itself, right? Right. That's from my understanding, yeah. But it's close enough to be subject to these rules, it seems like. Yeah. Well, it seems like, and this this goes into another news item that I found that I found today was a report from Live Door News reports the Japanese government has decided to extend the limit on the number of people at events until the end of June. And so that sounds like it's across Japan, no matter what city. Okay. So, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, man. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to, like, think about it. It's like, it's just the worst timing. Like, it's just the worst timing. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I, I hate to be this guy, but, like, I feel like, you didn't necessarily have to be Nostradamus to predict this because I mean, they're trying to gear up for the Olympics and I feel like maybe I'm, maybe I'm out of pocket here, but from the outside looking in, it seems like a very real possibility. That the only reason that they keep going into these states of emergency, quote unquote, is due to the fact that they're trying to, you know, host the Olympics and I'm not saying that public safety isn't a factor in it. It definitely is, but it they seem to be being hyper vigilant due to the fact that they're about to host the Olympics. You know what I mean? Right. And I mean, if I'm booking like stadium shows, given how business has been and everything like that, we already talked about all the other, you know, sort of outside factors that could come into play with whether they'd even draw and everything like that to not anticipate that maybe they might possibly 
change the rules, you know, between now and then, just like they have been doing the whole time. Like, I don't know. I feel like it's naive to think that they, that they were just on a straight positive, you know, ascending trajectory. It's been up and down the whole time. So, like, I don't want to blame New Japan for trying something, but I also feel like maybe they should have had some sort of contingency plans in place for this and maybe kind of expected it to some degree, you know? Right, yeah. I feel like maybe, yeah, waiting on later on in the year to potentially try and do a stadium show and another dome show. I guess you don't want the dome to be too close to the Wrestle Kingdom, but... Well, you know, we don't know the ins and outs like we've talked about. I mean, who knows what kind of deal they were getting, what kind of projections they thought that they, you know, were, were set to kind of be on when it comes to this whole thing. But, I mean, doing two dome shows or stadium shows within, you know, 14 days of each other back to back with how business is going and how the the creative has been. I mean, I don't that was already you know auspicious as it was. Right. Yes. So I don't know. So do you think they should keep the shows or should you think they should postpone them? I mean, I I think it kind of depends on um it kind of depends on what it really means for their bottom line, you know? Um, Because I think that at this point, they would love to do a 5,000-seat show. I mean, I think they've done close to that a few times with, like, Budokan and stuff. Um, But I don't know. The optics of doing a 5,000-seat show in the Dome or in Yokohama Stadium, I mean, that's not really the best look either, you know? Right. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a blessing in disguise, you know? Maybe, like, they weren't going to do so so hot anyway. <laughs> right. And this kind of gives them, you know, a, a sort of a scapegoat. But, um, I mean, there is a possibility with ha- the, running those types of arenas at this point might not even be worth it. You know what I mean? Right. They might need to audible. And I don't know how the business of renting a giant, stadium works you know i don't know if they're bound contractually to continue on or what kind of you know fees that they're looking at eating if they did try to cancel so i think that's kind of really what it boils down to but the idea that they're going to lift these restrictions between now and then maybe maybe they will but you said it was like till what august till till the end of june yeah, I mean, if if they're saying till the end of June, there's no reason to really believe that it's going to change between now and then, really. Right. But, so, yeah. I mean, I don't know. New Japan has shown, like, when COVID first happened, they really just sat back and waited to really see how the situation played out before they ever started making any big cancellations. And then, and then at that point, everything shut down. They had to cancel everything, so... I, I expect them to kind of do the same thing here because that's sort of their MO. Yeah, and, you know, with the Tokyo Dome, like you mentioned, that the Tokyo Dome could potentially be canceled with just how things are in Tokyo um, and them having to cancel Cork and Hall shows. So they, they could be losing out on one of the shows in general. Yeah. Um, next question here from Tim Smith at Poindexter84 on Twitter. The canceling of the three shows before Wrestle Grand Slam in Yokohama Stadium, 
How do you think the build for it will be? Everything rushed and laid out on Dantaku or just a simple press conference? Um, well, with them having to cancel those shows, I don't know that... Hmm. I mean, are there going to be any other Road 2 shows on the docket? Nope. It's... With those shows being canceled, it, we're, going, we're going straight to um, Yokohama Stadium. So, I mean, yeah, if there was at least one show between now and then that they could jam-pack with angles and, and set things up, you know, then that's definitely a possibility. But at this point, I'm expecting them to kind of have to get creative and possibly do some sort of a press conference situation to, to establish, you know, the stories going forward. Yeah, I think they can use um, Satsumi Nukuni and Dantaku to potentially maybe set some stuff up. You could have challengers walk out after title matches to set up title matches. But yeah, I think we'll we'll get a press conference after Dantaku Night Two for them to yeah, announce. There might Solano. be a combination of the two as well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, we'll get some set up I think in those shows, and then the press conference to give the full lineup of the shows after Dantaku. Sure. Uh, so in other news, uh, Finjuice, they retained the Impact Tag Team titles this past weekend at the Impact Rebellion pay-per-view. The match is now up on NJPW World. We had a question from uh, MitchMM22. Says, Since Finjuice are going to be Impact Tag Team Champions for a little while, I have a hypothetical question for you guys. If you had to choose one Impact talent to win an NJPW title, as a return favor, what talent would you choose and which title? I'd go with Ace Austin as junior heavyweight champ or maybe Moose as U.S. champ. Oh, Jeremy, who's in Impact? <laughs> uh, I mean, you got uh, Josh number two's good friend, Tommy Dreamer. Uh, you got... Uh, uh, I, I, you know what? I choose Kenny Omega. <laughs> the Impact world champion. And I'd like him to come to New Japan, and he could win the IWGP World <laughs> <laughs> Title. <laughs> oh, oh man. my gosh! It's, no, he can hold the Never Belt. That's fine. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Like you know, Chris Bay's there. I like Chris Bay. Yeah, uh, my boy Chris Saban's there. Um, He's old, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I uh, like Josh Alexander. He just won the X Division yeah, title. Yeah, how about uh, Josh? Give uh, Josh Alexander a, a strong open weight title matchup. What about Tyson Smith? Tyson Smith. Yeah. Who's Tyson you Smith? Oh, uh, he also goes by the name Kenny Omega. Oh. Um, I thought you were talking about somebody else. Got you. Okay, okay. What about Zack Ryder? Uh, that's, that's a hard pass. <laughs> I want TJP to come to uh, New Japan Strong, and he can face New Japan Strong member TJP. You <laughs> fight each other. Or he could be Manic and have Manic versus TJP. Oh, you know what I want? Fuck all this. Jordan Grace. Jordan Grace come to New Japan. Mm. She can she can fight all the women in New Japan, which would be like Miho Abe. Peter. Peter. 
That's she it. Fight them. She fights them for dominance. I mean, if B was there, maybe we, we could have done Jordan versus B. <laughs> um, I don't know, Willie Mack. Like, honestly, there's not like they got good talent there, but there's not not anyone that I'm like clamoring to see in New Japan personally. Right. Like, if I was gonna do anything, I'd bring any of those Impact guys probably too strong and give them like a strong open weight title match. Bro, I would say Eddie Edwards, but, like, Eddie Edwards doesn't even look like Eddie Edwards anymore. Like, I don't know who the fuck he is. <laughs> He's a different man now. Yeah. Uh, I, I I guess I would just go with Chris Bay and give him a junior title, I suppose. Yeah. That, that'd, be, that'd be good. I guess you could, I could also do the same with Rich Swan. I guess. I don't know. There's not, like, I mean, like, I'm not, I don't like Impact, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, is there anyone that you're like clamoring for I mean I, there's I mean, really no one for me I, I would do uh, more city machine guns give them junior tag titles that's a good one I guess yeah okay we can move on <laughs> uh, Dom homie 101 asked us with Finjuice retaining the impact tag titles is it possible that we see them in a winner take all match against whoever is the IWGP tag team champion in the near future and you know what? Uh, it's not like, yeah, it kind of sounds far fetched, but I mean, it's not much else going on in the tag team division, anyways. And there is some precedent for it. We saw a winner take all, you know, Ring of Honor IWGP, you know, tag team title match, you know, a couple years ago. So right, it's not impossible. Yeah, it definitely could happen. I guess it all depends if you can get Finn Juice back in the country and also with them being the impact champions, they're going to, they're going to have to work these impact tapings. And so if they get back into the country, yeah, definitely they can do some kind of double title match. Certainly. Um, next thing here from the wrestling observer, uh, Dave kind of gave a correction or, cl- or clarification regarding the ML te- MLW television deal uh, where uh, he mentioned that new Japan had talks with the same station Dave says they were told that New Japan could have gotten the TV deal MLW got with the same terms more than one year ago, but that deal wasn't what they wanted for a number of reasons due to the money figure offered and the time commitment being shorter than New Japan wanted from as a commitment. So, yeah, um, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then in some news that's kind of in the world of New Japan, but as of right now, not really directly affecting New Japan, it was announced today that uh, CMLL came out and announced that they have ended their working relationship with Ring of Honor. Damn. Yeah, I mean, that feels like we're one step away from New Japan ending their relationship with the Ring of Honor. So, also, you know, there's been a kind of this working relationship, CMLL, ROH, New Japan. It's kind of been like the, the, the little trio there, working relationships. And so... Um, a lot of issues going on in Mexico right now. Uh, Roosh is um, starting his own promotion, Federation Wrestling. And, you know, him and Dragon Lee, they broke away from CMLL last year and have mainly been Ring of Honor guys. And now you have uh, a Ring of Honor talent in, in Matt Taven, who's going to be working in Roosh's promotion. Um, and then obviously Roosh and Dragon Lee and Bandito are all Ring of Honor guys announced to work for this promotion. So. Uh, CMLL just not happy with that and, and cutting ties with Ring of Honor here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how beneficial that relationship really was anyways. And who's to say that, you know, down the line they might not end up working together again 
But, you know, I don't know. Things seem like they're super in flux with Mexico anyways. Uh, who the fuck knows if this Federation wrestling thing even pans out? I remember there have been several times in the recent past where guys have tried the exact same thing. Most notably, remember Alberto Del Rio oh, yeah. Conan. Yeah. I think I think Conan too, both of them, like were trying they had these, you know, high dollar, big name, you know, debuts of companies that were coming out and uh, like that should never really even happen. I take a look at like the market in Mexico, I take a look at like where the peso is. <laughs> right. And I take a look at all the names they have listed. And I'm like, there's no fucking way this is happening. Like, <laughs> I don't think it's happening at all, bro. Yeah, and it might not. And so, but I know of a lot of those guys kind of leaving CMLL, um, and none of those guys are really working with AAA right now. They need their just need somewhere, yeah. somewhere to kind of land in Mexico. So, yep. Well, we'll see what happens. Um, this week's this week's free match of the week. Best of the Super Juniors 26 finals, the match between the Dragon, Shingo Takagi, and the Aerial Assassin, Will Ospreay. Yeah, definitely a good little primer there to get us ready for the upcoming World Heavyweight title match. So now we'll uh, move into some questions here. Uh, first from Reddit user Asai Yojimbo says, what did you guys think of Mortal Kombat? Oh, uh, I thought it sucked. I have not seen it yet, so... Yeah, I mean, I don't want to give away too much spoilers or anything, but I really thought it was bad. And uh, I'm a pretty big fan uh, of, uh, you know, Mortal Kombat. Grew up with it, played most of the games, and uh, I wasn't I wasn't expecting it to be like Shakespeare or anything like that. But I was, you know, or like high art. But this was so much worse than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um, yeah. There's a couple things they got right. Most of the stuff I felt like they got wrong. There was a lot of down period in the middle of the of the movie. It was long as fuck. The acting was bad. Shang Tsung sucked. Oh, they fucked up Liu Kang. They fucked up Liu Kang. He's such a bitch. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I I liked the only thing I liked really in the movie was I mean the fight scenes were good and it was pretty gory. Um, they did a really good job with the whole lore surrounding Sub-Zero <laughs> and Scorpion. Everything with Scorpion and Sub-Zero was raw as fuck. Everything else in the movie, I throw it in a bin. Like, literally. Yeah, man, I've been seeing mixed reviews. I've seen people with kind of your take and saying it sucks. I've been seeing people thinking it's awesome. So, yeah, I will watch it uh, at some point, and yeah, I'll, I'll, we can talk about my opinions about it later on. Uh, I did. I liked Godzilla and... King Kong. I haven't watched that yet either. I heard that was good also. That one, that one at least, like, that one is, like, also, like, you know, there's a lot of shit in there that I don't care about. I pretty much just cared about when they're fighting each other. But at least, like, you know, they weren't fucking up the franchise. Right. <laughs> uh, next question. Is it even realistic for Osprey to have a match with CM Punk in 2021? Yeah. I think it's totally realistic. I don't. Why wouldn't it be? Yeah, I mean, just. I mean, also we've talked about Punk just has to. A, he just has to want to do it, and then if they they give him the the amount of money he wants to do it, then I think it could happen. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of talked about it before and said like we don't know 
you know, what kind of shape he's in and everything like that. But I mean, if he has the desire to do it and they've got the money to pay him to entice him to want to do it, like, I think it's totally realistic. I don't know why it wouldn't be. Yeah. Uh, his last question When is Umino coming back from England? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago that Rev Pro had tweeted and mentioned out that Umino, they weren't able to get Umino out of England before. The lockdown, the pandemic, the full effect. So, as far as we know, he's in Japan. Just they have, they're just not ready to to use him on New Japan shows yet, and maybe they want to send him back to England at some point. So, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll have to see. I'm not. I mean, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next question here from Grunty Dodds. He says, "With the passing of musical legend Shock G this past week." There's only one logical question. Who on the NJPW roster is most likely to get busy in a Burger King bathroom? My gut says Tamatonga. Oh my god, this is the easiest question there's ever fucking been. Do you know who's who do you think is the most likely person to get busy in a bathroom Burger King bathroom? I was gonna say Yujiro Takahashi. No, bro, Taguchi. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's easily Taguchi, and there's <laughs> yeah. no other answer. Uh yeah, that gets that. Yeah, that makes the most sense. Ujiro, Ujiro's a pimp. He doesn't need to get on. He he can do that from the comfort of his, you know, Escalade. <laughs> uh, next question from Stale Burger Bun. He says, "Which wrestler's T-shirt is more likely to help me pull chicks, Master Watos or Yoshihashi's?" God, I, I've I've seen Watos shirt. I don't even know what Yoshihashi's shirt looks like. I know Yoshihashi has a couple different ones. I know he has a, like the Headhunter one, but. Uh, Bro, neither. <laughs> That's a push. Yeah, I, I would advise getting somebody else's. Just just get a Lion Mark shirt or something. I don't know. <laughs> neither of these two guys. Uh, next question here from Rambo and Slam Pig. He actually has uh, four questions here, but he says, uh, one of the things you always hear about Gale's booking is that he has planned things ahead. He has notebooks with two years of ideas, etc." My questions relate to this. So his first question, do you think it's true that Gato is a particularly detailed planner as a booker compared to others? And the follow-up to that is, if yes, has this rendered him particularly ill-equipped to deal with the uncertainty and disruption of the pandemic era? Um, and so I, I, I do think that Gato has been a long-term planner, and you can just see that looking back at the last several years when he took over booking and just kind of the, the stories that he's told, um, several matches and rivalries that we've seen kind of play out. I mean, the whole Naito story is something that's played out over years, and so I do think that he is as detailed. He's a detailed booker. Obviously, we don't really know how it's kind of hard to compare him to other bookers, but I mean, I feel like in this modern era, he's probably one of the most detailed bookers out there. Um, and I do think that the pandemic has, has, has thrown off his game. I'm sure there's a lot of things he had planned and yeah, the pandemic threw him for a loop and maybe that's the reason why we've seen some questionable decisions in the last year or so. Yeah. I mean, I have no reason to doubt that Gato is, an extremely detailed planner when it comes to his booking. If, if, you know, the reports are to be believed, you know, he plans, you know, the, the 
overarching story that he's trying to tell over like say a two-year period at any given moment um so you know with the fact that things have been so in flux ever since the pandemic started i would have to agree yes i think that your second part of the question is probably absolutely true you know and the fact that it probably has rendered him uh ill-equipped to deal with uncertainty and the disruption the other thing too though is maybe we're not giving him enough credit you know i know a lot of people like to harp on new japan and everything that's happened but you know there's every possibility that he's done as good or better a job than anyone else in his position might have been able to do because you know the situation new japan is facing is quite different than the ones that say like aw the ufc wwe or you know other major you know entertainment sports companies are kind of faced with you know um and so I, I don't know. I can't say for certain that he's, you know, not done as good of a job as he's been able, you know, possibly been able to do. But it would make sense to me that if you're someone who has these orderly plans in place based on a fixed schedule, as we assume it to be, and then that schedule is in flux, you know, the talent is in flux, who you can, who you can't get, what you know, shows you can and can't do what attendances you are or aren't allowed to have, what times you are or aren't allowed to run. I mean, that's a lot of uncertainty for anybody. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me why things don't seem to be as, you know, on the up and up and chipper as they would have been, you know, a year or two ago. Right. Also too, I mean, he has been doing big matches, but even trying to save some big matches for whenever you do get a full house again, um, I'm sure that's something he has on his mind as well. Yeah, uh, definitely. A um, couple parts more to the, his question. He said, are some of these big moments like the elevation of Ibushi or Osprey part of the big picture plan all along or just a course correction from evil? Um, I'm thinking that they are still part of the plan because even with the the idea that some of these changes and situations have caused there to be uh, a struggle and difficulty. One thing that new Japan as a management group and, you know, Gato's booker has kind of shown is their, you know, kind of heart stubbornness and hard headedness and that they try to the best of their ability, not really to deviate away from whatever the plan is that they have. Um, I'm not saying that that doesn't mean that audibles have been called and things have been changed, but we really don't know. But my guess would be no, just based off of history. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think it, it was a course correction after Evil. We've seen with both these guys with Abushi. I mean, there's been reports for years. The only thing that was really holding him back from going all the way was signing a contract. So once he signed a contract, it was only a matter of time before they just continued that ascension and eventually gave him the title, which they did. And with Will Osprey, we've seen there, there, he's a guy that they have invested in. Um, as a junior heavyweight and as he's bulked up to heavyweight and with Kenny Omega leaving, there's definitely, you, you saw the plan to make him one of the top Gaijin uh, performers they had there. And so we're seeing that now, and obviously now he's the world champ. So I definitely think there are always going to be plans to elevate both those guys, regardless of whether or not evil was a champion. And, and maybe it was a thing where they didn't want either of these guys to be champions in a completely empty arena era. Um, so, so they threw it on a guy like Evil. Um, 
So. I, I think the whole thing with evil was basically just um, what it seemed like at the time was that it was a, a chance to elevate a guy. And, you know, if the reports are, are to be believed, they always had plans to elevate him. But I also think it was a way for them to set up a foe for Naito. Yeah. And try, you try, know? try to tell a story there. Yeah. That, I think that was the story was he was Naito's pareja. He betrayed him. You know, and they got a they got a new quote unquote star out of it. Who knows, you know, long term how that's going to play out. But you know, for the time being, they had, you know, a foil to Naito, and I think that's what that was really all about. And I think that was always the plan. Yeah. Well, then the last part of his question he says, if Gato's time has run its course, who would be a good candidate for the next lead Booker of NJPW? What stylistic tendencies would you want to see remain the same, and what would you want to see changed? Um. You know, I, I, I'm not going to really respond to Moses question. I, I appreciate the question, but I mean, until I'm not part of the Gato defense squad, but until we see how he's booking under normal circumstances, I have no reason to like, think that he is done, that his time has run its course. And I, I don't even know who would be a good booker style, you know, um, but stylistically, I will say, I don't really think that I would like a lot to change in New Japan. But some of the things that I would like to see change is just maybe some of the formulas that they follow are just uh, oftentimes a little too formulaic just based off of the schedule. And in all fairness, I think Gato's done a good job kind of um, – bucking the trend against that. We saw that in the G1 this year and with some of the other, uh, you know, tournaments that they've done in the recent past. But generally speaking, year over year, it's not always the most difficult thing to predict what's kind of happening in the company, which has its good, but also has its bad. Yeah, and again, like you, I I don't think Gato is, you know, cooked yet. Um, I still think he's, you know, a a really great booker. But we all know at some point, bookers do – you know, at some point, all great bookers kind of hit their limit on great ideas, but I don't think he's hit that limit yet. And also, it's kind of hard to know who would be a good booker until they start booking. Um, and so, who knows? It could be a wrestler, it could be an official, a referee, or something. We don't know who's who they have that could potentially end up being a good booker. Um, but as far as stylistic tendencies, I mean, I think for the most part, New Japan is, is pretty good as far as keeping things in the ring. Obviously, I mean, personally, I, I would like to see less shows with the, the same amount of matches, same, you know, multi-man over and over again. But I, I understand that they're trying to make up for lost revenue and they have to run all these shows. But maybe if they can try to just freshen up those road two shows so it's not uh, Jado and G.O.D. against um, Dangerous Tickers and Doki, you know, 10 times in a row, you know, that would be pretty nice. Yeah, and I mean... You know, the the reliance on tags, it has its place. It makes sense. But, I mean, it's not necessarily something that all major pro companies that were live touring have always done, you know. So, you know, maybe they're, they're, it's not necessarily that it has to always be that way. Right. So uh, last set of questions are here come from Dom Homie 101 uh, his first question, he says, which song by Aubrey Graham, a- a.k.a. Drake, describes evil? 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't really listen to Drake. You listen to Drake? Uh, not really. I, I, I mean, I've heard I've heard his songs, but I don't know them off title and one that would, would fit evil. God's plan. <laughs> but instead of God's plan, it's Gato's, Gato's plan. plan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Marvin's Room? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have no like, idea. Like, Jeremy didn't even laugh because he didn't know what the fuck that is. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, I know, I know, like, some... Like Drake, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, his next question. I, I I know a lot more about Aubrey Graham, the actor from Degrassi. <laughs> oh man. Jimmy, he got shot. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, Degrassi. What a wild, wild time that was. I fuck it, bro. They got a Degrassi channel on um, Pluto TV. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll just watch that shit. Like, oh, like, <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Uh, Megan, like, uh, you know, she didn't, um, she didn't like grow up watching that show. So like, I'll turn it on. She's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> so bad. It's like one of the top, like teen Nick shows. It's one of the greatest shows ever. <laughs> um, his next question with rumors of Daniel Bryan, possibly exiting WWE, what would be some dream and matchups that you guys would love to see? I would love to see Brian Tanahashi run it back. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, he's not leaving. That's the problem. Like, I want right. to answer this question, it, but until he, like, I'm not going to, we started this podcast like three, almost four years ago, and we talked about the potential of Daniel Bryan coming to New Japan all those years ago, and that shit never happened. It's never going to happen. So, like, you know, we, we don't even get the dream, the New Japan dream matchups that are available to him. In his own company right now, you know, <laughs> I want to see him and Nakamura like have an actual good, you know, solid match. Like, fuck. So I don't know. I mean, would I love to see him wrestle Osprey and Okada and Tanahashi? Sure, but like, I don't know. It's never happening. So like, I don't even want to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the options are are obviously easy. They're all the top guys, like you mentioned, Tana, Shingo, Osprey, Ishii, Saber. I mean, all those would be. Well, great matches for him, but until he actually leaves, and it's kind of hard to get excited about the potential of, of, of dream matches because more than likely he's just gonna resign and stay with the Fed. Yeah. Uh, now he says it's time for fight talk. Uh, how would a prime Kimbo Slice fit into a Triller world? Oh my God, he would have been one of the biggest draws ever. He already was one of the biggest draws ever. In his prime, but you know the, the 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 issue was, yes, MMA was a little bit more like the Wild Wild West, you know, back in 06, 07, 08, But it was still presented so much like a serious sport. And the deal with Kimbo was like he was, you know, fantastic at backyard fighting. <laughs> but I mean, you know, he was. And I, and I give him all the credit in the world for trying to learn the craft and become a real fighter. But, like, he was a freak show fighter. That's the deal. And when you put him in there with skilled MMA guys like Roy Nelson and, like, Seth Petrozelli and all that, they fucked him up. <laughs> yeah. And, like, he needed to be fighting guys like Ken Shamrocks and Mike Tysons and uh, maybe not maybe not Mike Tysons. But, you know, he needed to be fighting freak show fights against people that, like – he could draw with and it'd be, you know, you know, safe for him. 
uh, I think if you put them in a in Triller and it's marketed strictly as freak show sort of entertainment, like man, he would have done really really well, like for sure. I mean, I think the fight he had the one fight with Ray Mercer that did really well, and it wasn't even like I don't even know who you know promoted that shit. Yeah, I think yeah, he would have made a killing with with the Triller model and kind of set up with these kind of big like freak fight celebrity kind of fights that they're doing right now. Yeah. Uh, next, he said thoughts on UFC 261. Thoughts on the main event and what's next for both guys. How would you guys grade the entire entire card? In my opinion, I felt the show was an entertaining card from top to bottom. Well, maybe not the leg injury part. I also can't wait. Uh, for Usman to break Kobe's jaw again For Masvidal he needs to get back to basics Because it seems like he forgot what brought him to the dance Hopefully we see Masvidal versus McGregor down the road Also McGregor needs to help Usman and needs to keep Usman's name out of his mouth Because Usman would give him the business <laughs> um, Yeah so I'll just go through this quickly Thought the show was great Thought it had uh, I mean it was two hours of MMA Just top to bottom You know very fluid, lots of stoppages, uh, some unfortunate leg injuries. You know, the the Chris Weidman leg break was disgusting, but that, overall, yeah, that was crazy. Show was incredible. Um, as far as Usman um, and Colby, uh, I don't know if Usman breaks Colby's jaw again. I mean, Usman's definitely stepped up his game in the striking department, especially with these last two wins over Gilbert Burns and. Jorge Masvidal, and it's kind of stunning. But Colby Covington, man, he's gotten better every time he's gotten in the cage too. And he went sort of life and death with this guy just a year and a half or a year ago. So to kind of act like Usman's just going to walk through him, maybe he will. But, I mean, Colby's, you know, people don't give Colby Covington the credit that he's kind of deserving. That guy's a badass. You know, whatever, whatever, say what you will about his character and all that, but – uh I mean, the, he can he can scrap, like for real. Um, I expect Usman to beat him, but I mean, it's the fight game, bro. Anything could happen. I still, as good as Usman looked in that fight, there's a few strikes that were just wild and kind of crazy. And until he like calmed down and threw yeah, the right, I feel like in the first round he was throw, just throwing kind of throwing some wild strikes just to throw them. It's like, <laughs> what are you doing, man? Bro, I I apologize. I. I was trying to jet through this because I forgot you even watched the shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I watched this whole, this whole pay review. Yeah, I thought it was a really good car. I enjoyed it. Uh, like you mentioned, a lot of good stoppages there. Two um, kind of freak leg injuries there. Uh, but yeah, the, the Weidman break was just uh, that was crazy to see. Uh, yeah, yeah. Break, breaking the leg and then, off the kick, and then when he steps back, try to step back down on it. Oh man, that was rough. You know, and I've always been a, a Rose fan, so when she fucking head kicked Zhang, like I was, I was like ecstatic. I was running around the apartment, um, and then Masvidal McGregor, that'd be cool. You know, uh, would McGregor get worked by Usman? Probably, but there's also probably money to be made in that fight. So you know, we'll see. Yeah, I mean. Definitely a big matchup you could set up there for, for McGregor and Usman down the line. But, yeah, I was impressed with Usman's performance against Masvidal. Like you mentioned, yeah, just set the striking game up, you know. And even Masvidal said that post-match, you know, he was expecting to, to wrestle more. Uh, I wasn't expecting that much of a strike game there. So, yeah, 
overall fun fun UFC card and yeah, good stuff. Uh, next question: uh, Thoughts on Ryan Garcia pulling out of his next fight due to alleged mental health issues? Hopefully, Ryan gets to help with the issues, but he needs to handle with kid gloves when he decides to come back. I also think it's fucked up how the media would uplift Ryan Garcia, but at the same time, shit on Adrian Broner when he's going through his issues with mental health. Yeah, I mean it's a <laughs> it's a double standard, you know. Um, but at the same time, I mean, the, Ryan Garcia has a promotional machine behind him where he is presented as a matinee idol, you know, and kind of like this young sort of like fresh-faced, you know, good kid Hispanic. And then on the other hand, you got Adrian Broner who, you know, puts on sort of a gangbanger, you know, persona. You know, he, he's in the hip-hop lifestyle um, I'm not saying that any of that warrants him being portrayed as a bad guy, but he very often tr- has tried to play the heel throughout his career and has, you know, committed quite a few crimes to which he's been uh, arrested. So, but, you know, I think a lot of that is due to the fact that obviously he is dealing with mental health issues. And, you know, it's one of those things like that stuff doesn't get, uh, you know, it gets stigmatized. And and everything like that, you know, for instance, here's something, you know, I don't want to like turn this into a political podcast, but, you know, uh, with the George Floyd and Derek Chauvin um, case that just came up, people were kind of talking about like that um, there was there was talks of uh, allegedly George Floyd had swallowed his stash just before the arrest and people were like saying that that contributed to his death possibly. And I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, well, why should someone have to swallow their stash of drugs to try and avoid, you know, uh, a terrible run in with the cops, which ultimately still ends in a terrible run in with the cops. Like, doesn't that tell you something that, that something's clearly wrong here when like, you know, if someone has to kind of take that sort of action to avoid, you know, whatever, whatever the, uh, you know, penalties would have been had he got caught with those drugs. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's because there's a stigma behind it. And then people turn around and they, they take a look at it and they say like, Oh, well he was a drug user. It's like, so right. That doesn't justify <laughs> what, what, that, what happened. To what, him. Is that, what does that have to do with what happened to yeah. him in any way? You know what I'm saying? Like that's fucking stupid. And I think people do the same thing with Adrian Brunner you know, to a certain degree, like, you know, they're like, oh, well, you know, he's a criminal. Well, oftentimes criminals are people that have mental health disorders. <laughs> right. Um, his last question here, who would have given Floyd Mayweather more trouble? Felix Trinidad at 147 or Pernell Whitaker at 140? I believe Pernell would have been, would have been had a bigger problem for Floyd than Trinidad would have been. Uh, that's a tough question. Um, Probably, I don't know, because, I mean, Felix was, uh, Tito was hell for anybody at 147. Pretty much, pretty much historically, I mean, I only ever really saw one guy outbox him, um, and that was, you know, um, Oscar Del Hoya, and that was at the tail end of his run at 147. So, I mean, 
I, I really don't know. But Pernell Whitaker at 140, the one thing I will say is um, Floyd never really looked great at 140. I mean, uh, I remember he fought Sharma Mitchell and Arturo Gatti. And I think DeMarcus Chop Chop Corley at 140. I could be wrong about some of those names, but I'm pretty sure he only had like three or four fights. And he never really he he wasn't like at his best at that frame. I mean, yeah, he beat those guys and everything, but I remember him getting caught in one of those fights. Um, one forty was not Floyd's best weight. One, I mean, it took him a few years at one forty seven to even grow into the frame to to carry that weight. You know, uh, he was much much more comfortable at, at one thirty. Floyd's the greatest one thirty pound fighter ever historically speaking ever nobody in history like beats him at 130 but at 140 i don't know it's a tough one it's a tough one you're probably right i mean he probably does have more trouble but i'm just thinking from a stylistic standpoint i mean i don't know what um you're talking about two defensive fighters and i've never seen anybody out defense floyd you know floyd the one thing floyd has been able to do is make any other counterpuncher play his game and come forward. And I have a feeling that he probably would have been able to do that against uh, sweet pea. Um, I don't, I do not see him chasing sweet pea down at all. Uh, I, that fight would probably be boring to be honest. Mm. Uh, but with Felix, at least I think Felix Trinidad would probably be kind of similar to the Kodo Mayweather fight. I kind I think I've talked myself into it. I think I think he still has more more trouble with Felix in his prime at 147. That's that's a fucking tough fight. Sounds good. Yeah, I have no input on that. <laughs> uh, but uh, let's move on to the recommended match of the week. So uh, we are finally watched Wrestling Dantaku's 2012 Low Key versus Prince Devitt for oh, the. Bro, I, I didn't watch it. You didn't watch it. No, I'm just playing. I watch it. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I like this match. Um, You know, I I don't know if I've watched too many of the low. I I know I've definitely watched a lot of Loki's matches in New Japan, and I've seen um, the the triple threat between him and those two guys in Ibushi. And I've seen some of Loki's fights with Ibushi as well in singles, but I don't know if I'd watched the debit matches uh this didn't when i was watching it it didn't seem familiar to me um so i couldn't i know that they had like i don't know three four matches something like that between like 2011 2013 um this one was good uh it was kind of an interesting match because from a i mean you had low-key out there being as stiff as hell and so athletically gifted and then you you've got um, Devitt being just as athletically gifted, but he's kind of hampered by you know a worked injury to the ribs. They've got his ribs all taped up, and um, because of the onslaught of the strikes and then also the injury, he's kind of playing a baby face from underneath. Right. And early on in the match, they they really do a lot of quick, fast, athletic stuff, and the crowd's super behind it. But then. In the middle of the match, I mean, the the work is good, but the crowd is pretty dead. Um, uh, I think some of the chemistry 
was a little bit off between these guys, just with the the timing and the way that not that they're botching things, but just the way that they're working the crowd. It, they weren't really seeming to, uh, they were having trouble really getting the attention, um, from the crowd, but that kind of changes the last like seven minutes are, are very, very, very good. Very exciting. Uh, it's about like a 21, 22 minute match. Um, lots of near falls at the very tail end. And then, um, you know, when Loki picks up the win, I was, I mean, not surprised cause I knew he was champion before, but you know, in the context of watching the match, it, there's quite a few times where I started to believe that, you know, Prince Devitt was sort of going to eke it out, but yeah, good match. I, I'd probably go like three and three quarters on this. Yeah, really good matchup here. I feel like they were working more of traditional New Japan main event style than the junior style. I mean, there was definitely some, a lot of fast-moving, high-flying spots. You you had the big um, table, uh, double stomp, table spot to the outside. You had you had Loki busting out a Phoenix Splash at one point on the match. Uh, Devitt doing his signature uh, Tope Conhilo spot. So you definitely got your, your high-flying and high junior spots. But I do feel like with... Uh, uh, Devitt having to sell the the ribs and, and Loki kind of working over the ribs. It was kind of more of a, a traditional kind of style main event match where, where the heel getting a, a lot of heat on the Bay face and the Bay face having to come back. And um, something that I always just forget is just how over Prince Devitt was. Uh, when, yeah. When when the crowd was getting behind him, they they were really getting behind him. Um, it just makes me think like what what could have been if he would would have stuck around. Like what he had potentially become IWGP champion because he was getting so over at the time. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting question, but yeah, I uh, definitely enjoyed this. I thought it was an interesting match. Um, I'm wondering if they have a better match uh, between them. Um, it feels like they were definitely capable of it, but I don't know if they ever delivered on that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a good little match to check out. So uh, what is the recommendation for this week? So when I say this, you're going to probably grimace at first, but trust me on this. I'm not giving you this recommendation, you know, uh, out of malice. This is actually heralded as one of like the best New Japan matches, especially like it's probably one of the most hate filled New Japan matches. Uh, It's from April 27th, 1987. It is Masa Saito versus Antonio Inoki. Um, I would say go into it with an open mind, um, but I'm not saying like that the match sucks. The match is fantastic, but I just know when you see those names, you're gonna think like, oh shit, Anoki <laughs> and Saito. No, trust me, uh, this has an 8.07 currently on Cage Match, so I'm not I'm not recommending no fuck shit. Like this match is fucking awesome. It has one of the most infamous and famous moments in the history of New Japan. In uh in this match, so if you've never seen it, it's kind of like required viewing. But uh, I don't want to spoil it. But yeah, this match fucking rules. All right, awesome. We'll check that out. Saito versus Inoki. What was the yeah. uh, year again? Uh, April twenty seventh, nineteen eighty seven. It is on World. Do not mistake it for the Island Death Match. Okay, uh, <laughs> we're, we're not trying to watch no two hour matches here. Like. It, <laughs> All right. And that's that's it. That's my recommendation. <laughs> nice. We'll check that out and we'll review that next week. And next week we'll also be back to review 
both nights of wrestlings at Suma no Kuni, both nights of wrestling Don Taku. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we're Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. You can also find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle group, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, on the Pro Black Guy, just keeping a strong style. Email me, Jeremy at SocialSuplex.com. You can check out our Discord server. Link for that is in the show description. And be sure to check out all the other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Check out One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show from Scotland. Uh, the Grave Consequences Podcast with Caleb and Maserati. 8-Bit Suplex with Josh, number two, and Sandy. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. And the Great Match Generator with Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Ichiban. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.